throws it. Alley. Oh! Welcome in to the Just Basketball Show for October 25th. The NBA season's here, and I'm Chris Manning. That's Brendan Clean. Please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. If you've not already, hit subscribe on the Just Basketball Fans YouTube channel as well. And want to tell you about our friends at Homage. Homage is the ultra-comfortable specialty apparel company with NBA and WNBA licenses. They use vintage-inspired designs to be homage to the greatest stories, traditions, and figures across sports, music, and pop culture. Use our link below to make your purchase and support the Just Basketball Show. We were talking before the show, actually, about some homage stuff. For the, we're gonna later in the show in this segment, we're gonna stake our flag, plant our flag on the ground on some teams. Might have to get some homage gear to to rep those teams throughout the season and. It's the perfect way to do it. We're literally paying homage to them by even talking about them because they don't get talked about enough and maybe get some gear to uh, really just declare our allegiance and our love for the two squads we're about to reveal. Um, Can I take over and walk us through what matters more, Chris? Because we got a lot to get to. Yes, just a quick map of the show, just so people know what's going on here. We're going to do our first segment, do what matters more. Then we're going to plant the flag, as we mentioned. Then we're going to make our season predictions. That's going to be conference finals matchups, our NBA champions. Uh, and then we're going to pick MVP, six man of the year, defensive player of the year, and coach of the year. Then we're going to pick some other things. Darling player, a.k.a. this year's SJ. Darling team, a.k.a. this year's Kings. Darling role player, a.k.a. this year's Bruce Brown. And then we're going to have pick the number one offense, number one in defense, best player traded, NBA person who will give us the most content this year, and then player who can do what Damon Mitchell did last year, score 71 or more in a game. We're going to get the pick someone that we think could do it. One guy limit for those can pick one of the guys that did it last year. And then... Zan Huda, Just Basketball's TikTok king, our maestro, the man behind the scenes on our TikTok page, is going to come and preview the Boston Celtics with us. And then Eric Garcia Gunderson wraps up the show with us to preview the post-Damon Lillard first season without Dame Portland Trailblazers. So big show. And the NBA season's here. So here we go. Big show. Brennan, let's go to... We are... Let's do what? Let's do it. Anxiously awaiting Wednesday's full slate of games. We will be back next week to talk about the full week of actual basketball. So we are cramming one last set of preview content for you. And we're going to start, though, with some news, getting ready for the season. Things that we won't necessarily get to cover by the time the games have distracted us from everything else. And what matters more is exactly what it sounds like. That is three headlines, three trends, three news items around the NBA, and then we answer the question that is right there in the title. What matters more between them? Chris, I have down in Texas to start us off, Jeremy Sohan starting at point guard for the Spurs over Mm -hmm. Trey Jones, over any number of other young players they could have selected. We have Bradley Beal's first choice when he requested a trade from Washington with his no-trade clause being the Miami Heat and the news around why Miami did not make his first choice come true. And then we have uh, Emmanuel Quickly, which you could take in a different direction, actually. I personally view him as the most interesting guy to not get extended 
on uh, Monday. But if you had a different one, we could take it there too. But regardless of which extension guy you like, which of these three things matters more? I guess the... I, I kind of want to rule out the Beal thing just because, like, he's in Phoenix now. If I want to start, okay. like, process of elimination this. Like, he played for the Suns. Mm-hmm. Like, we, we, like, we live in a world where I understand guys want to go certain places. I'm looking... I'm, I'm kind of talking about Donovan Mitchell in this sense as well because, like, I think, like, the, all the chatter has been he wants to go to the Knicks, wants to be in New York. There's a certain level you have to be at as a player to dictate exactly where you want to go. Bradley Beal well, he did have a new case. trade clause. Yeah, but like if, the, yeah, okay, yes, but that's that's true. But it's but like it's not like Miami was like, yeah, we'll do this. Like you know what I mean? Like they weren't just like, yeah, that's a no brainer for us. Let's let's do that, right? There's a certain class of guy you have to get to to be that kind of player, I think. And mm-hmm. he played for the Suns. Now, not so that's it. not it for me, right? Bill's not in it. There's like eight guys in it, probably. Realistically. I think I'm going to go with no extension for Emmanuel quickly. Because he feels like someone that I really like. I think has been part of the turnaround in New York. Was really good last year. Was not good in the playoffs. So maybe that's a little bit of a reflection on that for the Knicks in this decision. But he's also someone that if they make a big trade this year, if it's for Cat, if it's for Embiid, if it's for whomever, they, they go in and make a big star move in the next 6 to 12 months. I think quickly he's going to have to be part of that trade and he's just going to get paid somewhere else would, would be, I guess, how this shakes out. But I think this tells you the Knicks are... And, and I haven't, you know, I haven't, can't say I've read all the reporting on this yet, but it feels like there's just some breakdown in what the Knicks actually think and maybe are just keeping their options open as far as that goes, knowing that restricted free agency is not really a fruitful option for guys anymore a year out. This is probably where I would go to. I want to give a quick shout out to the Spurs for hearing all of our jokes and criticisms over the years of how regressive and old fashioned they are. And then just saying, you know what? Fuck all of you guys. We're actually going to be the weirdest team in the NBA. Victor Wimbanyama is going to play like basically point, point, point wing for us. And we're going to start like six got five guys who are over six eight and you're just gonna have to eat your words each and every nba fan whoever called us a name for you know playing lamarcus aldridge at power forward or you know running our offense through demar Derozan and making a bad Kawhi leonard trade here it is we are we have entered the 2020s and jeremy sohan is going to somehow be our starting point guard but uh emmanuel quickly where do you think the contract ends up? I think your point on the trade is a good one. This could just be something that they don't want to commit to right now because they don't know what their team is going to look like. They have plenty of matching salary for the eventual time when they want to make that trade. So it's not as if they need to lock another player in on a guaranteed deal just to stack up money in a potential trade. They have a lot of those. So yeah, it could be that. He'll be a restricted free agent. I think they, it's not like I think that he's for sure gone, but where do you think this one lands? I'm looking at Markel Fultz, three years, 50 million. I'm looking at Derek White, four years, 70 million. Feels like that's probably the range. Tyus Jones, two years, 29 million. Somewhere between the mid level and like 15 million a year. Is that seem right for quickly or does he get more because he's younger 
I mean, I think the, I was reading uh, Fred Katz's reporting in The Athletic about this. Um, Cole Anthony got 13 a year for the Magic. I think Quickly's better than Cole Anthony. Josh Green got 41 over three. You know, I, I think there's some more pop-up upside as a 3 and D guy for Josh Green that I could see mm-hmm. that being there. And this is the line that stuck out to me. Um from his reporting. The the Knicks had hooked a lot up quickly because it made sense for long-term roster building, and that's what we do with young players that have the potential to break out, but it never happened. The two the two sides were too far apart. So I guess what it, like that leads me to wonder like what is quickly look was quickly looking for something closer to like an RJ Bear contract? Was he looking at something like the the Devin Vassell contract? Like I no I, no way that's so much higher than what the numbers you just listed off. Josh Green's making thirteen. No, but I'm RJ like, Barrett's I'm making saying, thirty. But I'm asking was quickly asking for like in the twenties, and it's they're just like nah, man, we can't do that. Even like because like like I that's what I wonder if he was asking for the sun and the moon would I guess be a question. Yeah. And that and if you're the Knicks, even if that is something you're going to use to trade, those salaries have to be uh, something a team another team I think wants. But I, yeah, I feel well, like exactly, and fifth, that's where the RJ fifth, Barrett comp is is reasonable, yeah. I think, because yeah. you go too high, and then all of a sudden you have buyer's remorse immediately. You said fifteen is what you would guess next summer, fifteen to seventeen, I would guess somewhere in there. I think that's reasonable. I think his his ceiling is only so high, right? I think he's a good on ball defender. I think his length makes him a pretty solid, um, you know part of a team defense in most situations. I, I would expect him to be able to be that. He doesn't create a ton of steals or anything, but like, yeah, he's 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 going to do that. Guard defender who makes a difference. Offensively, though, it's he's 6'3". He likes to shoot, you know, jumpers. He doesn't get to the rim. He's not really going to draw fouls as a result of that, even though he has pretty solid shooting foul rate overall, but that's, you know, relative to being a guard. It's not as if he's, you know, peak Russell Westbrook out there. So I just think what what's the cap on that type of player? You know, he's not going to be in the top three of your best players winning a championship. So that probably seems right. I mean, Karis LeVert got 16. Markel Fultz, who I mentioned a minute ago, 17. Yeah, D'Angelo Russell this past year, 18. It's probably in that range, and I think that's fine. But could be a sign-and-trade situation, too. You never know. I, it kind of feels like if they don't do the DiVincenzo contract, then they probably re-sign Just quickly. Extend him. And that's yeah. kind of interesting to me, because I don't know if DiVincenzo is necessarily worth all that. But... Um, can can I can I add one other thing? Can I just add one other thing to this because it's become a meme and I just I found it funny. It's that Pat Riley like touching Tyler Hero on the back of his shoulder and saying we never wanted to trade this guy. That's why I put the Beal thing in here. That was just to really laugh at the Miami Heat. Um, okay. Not only with them saying that the reason they didn't or they didn't say this, but it's been reported that the reason they did not pursue Beal and get that deal over the finish line is because they didn't want to keep. His no trade clause, whereas the Suns were willing to do that. So Beal does still have a no trade clause as far as we know. And um, of course, now the Riley thing of that they were never going to trade Tyler Hero. It's just all silly. It's both in both directions, pretending like they never pursued Damian Lillard when that was the story of the NBA offseason. It's like we didn't get Beal because of the no trade clause. It's like, no, you probably didn't get Beal because you wanted to keep the powder dry for Lillard. Then you didn't get him. So now you're pretending none of that ever happened to try to make Tyler Hero feel better. And it's like you could just 
not gaslight your fans. That'd be cool too, you know? Um, <laughs> all right, let's plant our flag. You ready? Yeah. Uh, do you want to explain what we're going to do with this, I guess, is the... Is the is sure. The it is going to be our two teams, aside from the cream of the crop in the league, you know, we're going to talk about the Suns, the Nuggets, the Bucks, the Celtics. I think we'll probably talk about the up-and-comers that we're going to list off later in our predictions. We're going to keep tabs on the best players that are not on all those teams, like Luka Doncic or Joel Embiid, but... These are going to be two teams, one in each conference, that we are staking a claim to. We are going to adopt them. We are going to learn to love them and have them be just like our own. And that means we're going to cover them every week. At least once, we're committing to talking about a trend, a game, a moment, a news story from both of these teams. It might not be an hour a week, but it is going to happen. And you're going to learn to... Uh, come here for that, I hope. And then, you know, we'll learn to love your team. That's going to be the relationship. Uh, I'll start with the West team since I'm our West Coast representative, Chris, and then you can unveil the East team. Okay. The Sacramento Kings. We talked about them a lot last year. They Light the beam? Light, light the fucking beam. Let's go. Light the beam. I hope this results in us getting an invitation to Sacktown to hit that button that is not actually connected to the light. That would be awesome. Uh, I I would, Brendan, I would read a whole story just about the guy who's like operating the, the beam. Like that feels just like someone sh- like we need trying to, to get, get the timing to, right. The feature story on like how on the work behind lighting the beam. I just need like all the information on it. Maybe that because it exists already, but I just feel like I would have read it like 50 times by now. So Chris is the number one stan of King's head coach Mike Brown in the world. Um, I think they should have, should have traded for John Collins. We both hyped this team up a lot and are big fans of Keegan Murray. And we did a whole segment about that last week. So there's a lot to like, but I think a lot of other places are going to turn a blind eye to Sacramento in year two of this grand return of the Kings to the NBA's top of the top. And I think, you know, you and I both like, should we be honest? We both had the under for this team win loss wise, but that doesn't mean they're not exciting and intriguing. And there's not a lot of stories to follow here too. They're actually going to factor into our predictions later on for me personally. Okay. Can I, can I just ask one follow-up? How did I become the number one, like Mike Brown guy? It just seems like you're a fan. I don't know what to say. Um, I just like the I just like the energy. I I feel like I'm more of a Jordy Fernandez. Like some teams got to hire okay. that guy as a head coach yesterday. I feel like that's where like my real like. There we go. Another storyline. Okay. We're going to be driving yeah. the bandwagon on Fernandez getting a head coaching job next summer, and that'll be another thing to follow. But all right, what's our East team? It's the Orlando freaking Magic. Paolo Bancaro, Franz Wagner, Wendell Carter Jr. Dare I say? One of the most underrated players in the league. You have a lot of interesting young guards. They've added Anthony Black in the draft. They still have Marco Fultz, who had an amazing poster dunk in the preseason. Paolo is one of those dudes you're going to have to just pay attention to over and over and over again as the years go on. Franz is already awesome. Like, he could end up being, like, the third best guy in his draft class. I don't think that's, like, out of the question. Like, he's that potentially that good. 
I would like it's like if it's like him, Caden, if it's like Mobley, Caden, Franz, like that wouldn't shock me if that's where that ends up. And this is the team, Brendan, that I, I don't know. They're not going to factor into my predictions this year. But I do think this is a team that in a year, in two years, as their young guys evolve, as they maybe make some more aggressive trades and cash in some chips, this is a, a team waiting to erupt. And it has the young talent base. It has a lot to like. Stake. We're planting the flag in Orlando. I love it. We are two of the biggest enjoyers of Jalen Suggs, I think, out there. Just from the yep. uh, what the hell is going on factor. Just a basketball player that feels like maybe he should be playing like rugby or something. And we love that. I think the return of Jonathan Isaac from a basketball standpoint is a pretty interesting story. Can it actually sustain this time? Is his injury history going to plague him again? What do they do with the contract? Markel Fultz is in a a walk year. And they have a lot of decisions to make about what the next version of this team is going to be. What the staying power around Franz and Paolo is going to look like and and what they need to add to this group. So I'm really excited. I think this is going to be maybe not the big leap year for this team, but it's going to plant the seeds for what I think both of us expect to be a probably a contender in, you know, the next four or five years in the Eastern Conference. And we're going to watch the very beginnings of it. So there's our two yeah, teams. We're- we're get, we're getting in like we're investing before the IPO and then when the IPO happens we're gonna we're gonna come out looking looking great. Absolutely, we're uh, we're gonna get to say we were there when we remember the days when you know Jonathan Isaac was still on the team and Joe Ingles was dribbling the ball around and then you know Paolo lifted Finals MVP trophy someday and we'll get to have the receipts. Here's the link to that one random show we did in November 2023 in year two of Paolo's career and now look where we are. You know it's uh, it's going to be pretty hipster of us. I'm looking forward to it. Joe Ingles is also going to come up this year because you know Joe Ingles is going to talk some shit. It's going to be funny. All right season predictions time Brendan. Yep. Here we go. Uh, do do we want to? Here we have the way it's listed. It means we're technically starting with conference finals and stuff. Do we think we should like? We can do that at the start. End. Yeah, we should like build to that. I think. Okay. So let's start with these fun ones, and we'll kind of work okay. our way backwards. Uh, best player traded. Who is it this year? I got. A little more spicy and creative here because I didn't want to just say Carl Anthony Towns. That's everybody is already on that. You know, um, I don't think Joel Embiid is getting traded in season. I don't think Donovan Mitchell is getting traded in season. I don't think Luka Doncic is getting traded in season. I thought about Rudy Gobert just to kind of really zag on the cat thing and just say somehow they find a way to get Gobert's contract out of there. But the complexity of convincing a team to do that would be pretty significant too i don't expect we'll see that so where i went is paul george Mm. okay i like that spice i have a little bit of reticence around the clippers this year Uh, i believe i heard that kj martin is like might not play i think that that zach Lowe kind of mentioned that and i have not been tracking clippers preseason as closely as maybe well, Ter- I needed to, I guess. Ter- Ter- Terrence Mann has an ankle issue, and he's not going to play in the opener. So, mm. And he's starting, apparently, which is a positive sign. But yeah, if he's hurt, that's obviously a little bit of a, of a roadblock. So the vibes are never good in, in, in Clipperland. I don't think that they did enough to improve their team this offseason. 
I don't think James Harden is the answer there either. This extension conversation is ongoing with both star players. We'll see if they get get one done. Um, so if things continue in that direction and the future and the finances aren't solidified, then we, t- we, we heard about a Paul George trade at the draft. Didn't happen. And I think of the two players, you and I have agreed on this before, he's the most tradable one between himself and Kawhi. I think the uncertainty with Kawhi's health, his personality, all that stuff makes him a little harder to to wrap your mind around as a GM. Whereas Paul George, it's like, yeah, he has injury issues. He is what he is. He's in his 30s, but that's an elite wing guy who was an all-star last year. If that guy hits the trade block, you could more than see a number of teams starting with like the Memphis Grizzlies, for instance, doing a whole lot to go out and get that guy. So... Give me PG, best player traded. Who you got? I went to Mar DeRozan. I think that's a guy that is obviously a little bit older. You know, he's not going to be like in an all NBA conversation. He is going to be someone who I think could really help a good team that needs a ball handler, that needs to put itself over the top in some way. And I just have, have weird feelings about where the Bulls are at. So I'm going to say DeMar DeRozan ends up on a contender and is, is playing for a team that has championship aspirations by the time the trade deadline passes. I think he will be traded. Uh, I just, you know, Paul George is better than him. So, but he was on my, he was on my, my list and I also, probably I also more, didn't more likely wanna, that he gets traded. I also didn't want to say than, than George. That, yeah. Yeah. I just didn't want to say no, Kat, Kat is like Kat. Let's, Let's move on to NBA person who will give us the most content this year. I have. Wait, who do I have? I literally had it in my head. You go. Thought about James Harden. Mm-hmm. I thought about LeBron. Like, do you see the tight end thing? Uh, I did. LeBron, uh, did you see the Nike commercial where he or the Beats commercial where like his wife has a voiceover and says, "Play with basically alluding to like want to play with both of his sons." I'm like, my guy, your legs aren't going to be working. <laughs> yeah, uh, tell that but, to the doctor who did your foot surgery and see what he says. Guess what? Cleveland Cavaliers will absolutely take that deal though. LeBron and his two kids. Let's get one of them plays in the G League for a year. I mean, sign me, sign me up for that personally. Just collect some checks. Um, my official answer is I, 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 I'm going to go like a deeper cut, I think. And this person also like has his own podcast, but he's in a media market now where he's going to get amplified. He's on a high-pressure team. He got ejected from a preseason game. Go on Patrick Beverly. I like it. I mean, it's a good bet. It's, you know, if, if, if BetMGM or any sports book did odds on such a frivolous thing, he would probably be the favorite every year. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's, it's the right choice, I think, pretty definitively. I went, I remember now, Jordan Poole. Mm. I just think, uh, you know, whether it's incredible games, which I'm sure there will be plenty of, like, I think he'll put some points up. He'll probably average, you know, 25 points a game or whatever or just the crazy things that this man says, or obviously the thirst traps and everything else that is is liable to happen. Um, I just, honestly, what solidified it for me is the quote that he had this week about how this is the first year of his life that he'll play pressure-free basketball. 
it's definitely what you want your uh, off-season acquisition to say is that arriving on your team took all the pressure out of what he does for a living. It's That's great. I don't think that'll work. Yeah. Uh, most people get a new job. They come and they're like, oh, this is, this is so much easier. I feel like I have nothing to worry about compared to the last place I was. I think most of us would get fired or, uh, you know, get a warning for that. Yeah. I also just like that we got, you know, he gave this big, you know, he, there's a big ringer story. Logan Murdoch wrote it uh, where he like, we were just, we continually get more nuggets about the Draymond Green, Jordan Poole thing. And like their first matchup when the Warriors play the Wizards, whenever that is, is just going to be like probably not a good basketball game, but a lot of eyes on that one for like vibes reasons. Yeah. He said uh, he and, uh, Kerr told them to go to dinner together and Draymond declined. That was like the big pullout from that story. Can, can I, can I just say that's the week on Draymond's part? Kind of is, but also he probably knew at that point, like I'm staying, Jordan's leaving. Goodbye. Yeah. I don't this know. kid's like 15 just, years younger than me. I'm over it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. All right, uh, All right, player that player that could score, do what Damon Mitchell did last year, score seventy one or more. Brennan, easy answer for me. I'm picking Luka Doncic. Mm. Like that, I just yeah. feel like he's going to do it at some point. It's going to happen. He had fifty or sixty last year, right? He had a game. Let's see his his high end points last season was sixty. December twenty seventh against the New York Knicks, so it is a good bet. You need somebody who has the ball in his hands and who can shoot a lot of threes, who will shoot a lot of threes. Although Luca in that game only took six and he got to the line twenty two times, so he he does things a little different. Also had ten assists because he's a maniac. Uh, but mine was Jason Tatum who I believe in the 2021 season had a 60-something point game, 63, I want to say, and is similar, right? He's going to take and make a lot of pull-up threes. Oh, no, it was exactly 60 for him as well. Uh, Can get to the free throw line, has the ball in his hands a lot, on and on and on. So I just think the spacing they're going to have, the level of overall talent, you could just see a game where everything kind of hits for him. And it could come pretty easily. I mean, that guy, when he's hot, there's not really a lot like him. So that's my answer. Jordan Poole also may be an answer. <laughs> sure. That would be content. So I'll take I it. I mean, he also, he like what, like him or Kuzma is just randomly going to have a 50 point game because like what else is going to happen on the Wizards? Kind of hoping big picture, the scoring bonanza stuff goes away a little bit especially the free throw line but i might that might just be wishful thinking just feels like everybody got to the line like twice as often as they ever had last year and don't love that but conversation for a different day yes all right let's go to number one offense number one defense let's start with the offensive side brendan i'm gonna pick your team it's i'm gonna say the phoenix suns all right i think I did my final predictions on my son's podcast and said that they would be the second best offense just because I maybe didn't want to jinx it. I have the Celtics at number one. Just got done talking about Tatum's proclivity for exploding this season. I think just the way that Jim, uh, that Joe Missoula thinks about offense, the fact that they have so many individual creators, so many shooters, they're going to kind of you know, cheat code their way through regular season offense by playing fast and heaving threes. To me, it just feels like 
the best bet. I don't know if I would say they have my favorite offense or the one that I think is the best in the league, but statistically, I think it'll be them by the end of the year. Defense, I had the Miami Heat. I believe they were seventh last year. And I think that in order for them, if Jimmy doesn't have quite as good of a year and they're trying to make up for the roster deficiencies and some of their shooters are also gone in, in Vincent and Struess that they will lean into playing bigger. I think a, a great full season from Caleb Martin, if he's able to be healthy, Haywood Highsmith is dealing with something, I think, but he can be uh, a part of that. They just feel like a bigger, more physical, more athletic team this year than they were last year. And so that might be their pathway to winning. And I think they, they could just really play an even uglier style of basketball, which is all what really we want to see, right? More 85-83 Miami Heat games. I'm going to go... I, I think Miami's a good pick. This is my homer pick. I'm going to say the Cavs, number one defense in the league. They were number one last year. Certainly have some different pieces now, but I think regular season-wise in particular, this defense is just going to be great, and Evan Mobley's I think going to be even better on defense. He's not who I'm picking for DPOI. Uh, I'm actually picking someone from a team we've already mentioned for that. Okay. And but I'm going to say Cavs number one defense. If I you like look, it. Brendan, also if you look at the t- the top defenses from last year, like there's definitely going to be some regression from a lot of these teams in the top ten. Like it's like Memphis is two. They don't have Stephen Adams. Even if they had a Marcus Smart, Boston is going to look different. Milwaukee has Dame now. Chicago, like I don't know if that was real. The 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 Pelicans, the Heat, the Wolves, the Suns, and the Sixers. That's the top ten defenses according to the clean of the glass last year. I think that ten is probably going to look a little bit different. It always kind of does, right? I mean, I think defense yeah. especially is shooting luck can affect it how you choose to play in terms of size and rebounding and and pace all those things it kind of feels like you can choose to be a great defense in any given year you know it's kind of what the bulls did so you know it's it's hard to predict but talent wise i think cleveland and miami are are two really good bets so we're i think probably going to be both in the neighborhood of the top five with our picks where are we going next uh let's go darling player aka this year's sga who's your pick for this I have Anthony Edwards. I thought about a lot of players. Okay, that that's like that, okay, that's like the layup of all layups. I'm, I, for the man who gave us the Paul George trade, because Anthony Edwards also my answer. That's really why I'm mad. Um, okay, but you know what? This yeah, great, great. You picked the same thing. I think the thing that makes this question hard, and part of why I wanted to talk about it is it's the confluence of circumstances that led to Shea breaking out is like impossible to replicate this weird career where he is on his second team forced to be he basically is shut down multiple years in a row we might have seen the breakout from Shea earlier if the thunder had allowed him to break out you know he was putting up all-star caliber numbers he's in like year what was last year for him five six by the time he finally gets to put it together i think five and the team is impossible to there's no other thunder like that's not a thing because they're so young sam presti is such a genius so it's like there's not really a one-to-one but i think if you're talking about a player who could get some mvp votes who is going to be the talk of the the league the guy that you know by the time all the player rank uh articles come out next year is like probably 10 spots too high we're probably talking uh about anthony edwards there so 
that's uh did you think about anybody else was there a close second for you who else did you uh consider here it's not at the scale that we're talking about with SGA, but I thought about Cade because I think Cade is going to like kind of get get back into our conscious this year a little bit. So I, I thought that was an answer. I thought you could have picked Paolo for this, and I don't think that would have been unreasonable. The one that I'm also – I just want to say I hope happens because I'd like him to be really good is Jalen Green. I just yeah. like want Jalen I, – I really there's a really great Zach Lowe piece about Jalen Green that I would recommend people read. It was one of the things that um, – has really stuck in my head as far as season preview content goes. But Jalen Green would be one that if he can just kind of get himself back to the level I think we thought of him coming into the draft, then the talent's obviously there. I, I would be very excited by by that proposition. I thought about LaMelo Ball. I think his career arc fits Shea's breakout last year the best in terms of somebody who's been around a little longer, had some ups and downs for different reasons, and then might be able to prove himself. But I think that team is a complete nightmare, and so I couldn't really do that in good faith. I think Halliburton is an option. And I also thought about Zion, who another one where the career arc kind of fits, just kind of the post-hype breakout type of thing. But I'm not going to bet on Zion too put it together and also the pelicans seem similarly seem a little bit nightmarish as far as their injury situation and everything else so uh darling team aka this year's sacramento kings i have the thunder yeah this is this is the easiest answer on the whole entire list to me another one that's kind of hard to replicate though because the kings had the playoff drought on top of everything else you're not getting another version of that no it would you would need to be like orlando gets like the four seat and like I just think the Thunder have the better chance of being really good, um, so I think that's it. All right, uh, darling role player, aka this year's Bruce Brown. You I thought first. about just saying I thought about just saying Bruce Brown because I think he might be like really great for Indiana. No, it has to be somebody who's undervalued right now who plays a bigger role on a team that surprises us I a know, little bit I and know, then gets paid. That's the whole thing. This this was weird because it was like every website that covers the NBA wrote an article about this in like July. It's like, can we see what the rotations are? Like you're talking about guys who are on like minimum deals basically or taxpayer mid-level deals. Like they're signed that way for a reason. We got to like give it some time to breathe before we can even predict who it's going to be. But um Where'd you land, I, I, ultimately? So I have one in the East, one in the West, is how I answered this. Okay. I went with Jalen Johnson in the East for Atlanta, and then I went Kata Bates-Diop for your Phoenix Suns. Yeah, Kata Bates-Diop, I think, was in a lot of those articles I was referencing when people were guessing who it would be. Um, I was pretty proud of mine for this one. I think Jalen Johnson's a great shout. I think he's... Uh, better than people realize and I think might just be potentially better than DeAndre Hunter and Sadiq Bey long-term. So I wouldn't be surprised if he had a bigger role than expected. I think Torian Prince is going to be the guy this year. On the exact same contract that Bruce Brown signed with Denver, already vaulting up the rotation in a way that we didn't necessarily expect because I don't know if anyone thought he would for sure play and he might start. Now is he going to close... Probably not, but, you know, it's like him or Rui Hachimura, him or Gabe Vincent. Like, okay, maybe I could actually see it. Um, and I just have always liked him. And I think last year we started to see the evolution where he embraced being a role player instead of being, you know, I'm going to chuck shots and goof around all the time. Like, he, he buckled into a 3 and D role and helped the Timberwolves. And I think he'll do the same for the Lakers and then could be a guy who gets... 10 $15 million, $20 million next summer if all things break right, so... 
There we go. Yeah, that's a good, that's a really good shout. And he's just, he's someone that has like been around for a while in the same way Bruce Brown was like kind of around for a while and then erupted and won a title. All right, let's go to coach of the year. Uh, Brendan, I'll go first. I'm going to, I'm going to go Quinn Snyder. I think Atlanta is going to be a top six team. I think he's going to be really important with a full year of that team. I think you could pick a lot of other teams. There's a lot of other ways you could go with this, but I think that's one of the best coaches in the league. I think he's going to do a great job in Atlanta. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to just pick Quinn Snyder. I think we've talked before about the most kind of starstruck or like uncomfortable, awkward, fidgety we got covering the league uh, in our day-to-day of the teams we cover or events we've been at or different things before. I don't remember what you said. Kind of feels like it might be Quinn Snyder. What would you do if Quinn Snyder coached the Cavs? I feel like you'd, you just, it's a, it's such a deep bond you guys have. Him and Mike Brown, as we talked about. (laughs) Well, um, I would actually ask where Quinn Snyder got those red glasses he was wearing the other night. I need to know. I think it's going to be an every night thing. I I don't I don't think it, I mean it's he, been all preseason, so it's coming for us. That man knows how to. That man like is caring. Like sometimes I get random fi- uh, things in my Instagram feed of like Pat Riley's fits from the '80s and the '90s, and he's just going way too hard. Quinn Snyder is kind of like the modern like fit god among coaches. I like that. That is that is very true. I think um, him and Don Staley. Don Staley deserves a shout in that category. Yeah. Um, I think uh, I saw a bunch of people on NBA Reddit joking about how Quinn Snyder incorporated his wife's input of wanting to go to Atlanta, where I believe she is from or has family, into his decision to coach the Hawks, and a bunch of people were clowning him for that choice. Uh, I would imagine most people on the NBA subreddit probably don't have a loving marriage or a lucrative paying head coaching job in the NBA. Is that fair to say? And you probably get some front office say in, in, in there in a way that's, yeah. you know. Power, money, love. Okay. You keep laughing. And, uh, you know, our NBA, it's it's uh, it's going to really take you places. All right. Mine is Joe Missoula. Okay. I just think it's going to be year two after so much criticism. I think this team is going to be at the top of the regular season standings in the East. I think that they are going to be flat out dominant a lot of nights and... There is also an element of coaching needing to happen there to integrate it all, to get guys to buy into different roles, to play differently depending on who's on the court. All that stuff is going to be there. There is a lot of pressure. We know the Jalen Brown situation is uncertain. It just feels like the on-court job, the off-court job, and the narrative is going to come together for him. And uh, he'll prove all the naysayers wrong. Defensive player of the year. This is going to be not a surprise based on the number one in defense. I have Bam Adebayo. Same. Okay. This is our first overlap. I just, again, think the Heat will try to lean more into embracing defense. Kevin Love being there. Some of the wings we talked about a minute ago being more full-time parts of this group. Even Josh Richardson as a point of attack guy. I think that they just have the tools to be pretty dominant. Bam's been a guy who's either a finalist or on the short list or gets hyped up by you know analysts and stuff every single season. We know he's a great defender. I think he even acquitted himself pretty well against the Nuggets in the finals and at various points throughout that postseason run. So maybe some of that shine stays with him. Um, he he got to win one at some point and I don't super love any of the other candidates it's kind of a weird award every year similar to what we said about defense in general every season so that's the case but it could be anybody i mean it's a it's a guessing game 
I I think it's Bam. I think that he I think he's just so good that I think he's just going to win one at some point. So I think until he wins one, I'm just going to pick him every year and then say, see, I was right. There you go. Six man, who you got? I have the hardest time with six man of the year, Brendan, because I just don't know always what to do with it. I don't always know how to forecast it. I think this year in particular, it's just like, like you could convince me of a lot of different things. So I am just going to say for narrative reasons and for like legacy reasons and just kind of maybe giving a guy's flowers. I think there's a story to tell. I think I'm going to go with Chris Paul because I think he's going to come off the bench. James Trani has reported as much. So I'm going to say Chris Paul, six man of the year. Point God gets that in his resume. The other name, the, the other two names that I came down to, Rui Hachimura, mm-hmm. who's going to come with the bench for the Lakers, and Malik Monk with our Sacramento Kings. Our Sacramento Kings, indeed. My pick was Malik Monk. We talked through why he might regress. I think him and Fox both have a little bit to prove. Monk less so, I would say. There was less of a crazy jump for him. It was more just the usage being there and a team kind of catering itself to his style. But in general, I think a big question for Sacramento is can their offensive, uh, their half-court offense really stay where it was, not be solved. But Monk took a big leap in assist rate. If that can continue and his his turnovers can stay relatively low, we know he can shoot the three ball. He actually was not amazing from there last year. Um, He is a good finisher. I think a lot of that stuff will will remain. And maybe they'll kind of need him more this year if some of the other parts of their team do get worse, like Kevin Herter. Is he... Is the two-man game with him and Sabonis been figured out? Do you need a little more unpredictability? Maybe Monk can slot in there. We'll see. But he, uh, he's been a kind of, you know, under-the-radar favorite among a lot of NBA fans dating back to the breakout year he had two years ago with the Lakers, and maybe this is the season he finally gets some hardware to match it. MVP, I have Giannis Antetokounmpo. Uh, I went Nikola Jokic. I just How? I think after last... He's just going to get crowned. I think he's just like, this just feels like anoint that man kind of thing. And we talked about the kind of NFL QBification of him and the bigger responsibility on his shoulders this year to make a lot of the guys around him better. And you could see the on-off stuff being incredible for him even more than it already usually is. Um, Case for Giannis, I think he's going to have to do more on defense. I think he has a little bit to prove in terms of his efficiency and approach on the offensive end again this year after slipping on that end. And similar to to Jokic in a way where the top of the roster is as good or better, but the bottom of the roster maybe not as good, not as proven. So Giannis kind of keeping all of that together, helping the new coach, helping Lillard, and still being as great as he always is, I think could result in uh in that award for him um i went chalk for the the conference finals yeah so in the east i have boston milwaukee you have you have boston milwaukee and then i have suns nuggets in the west yeah which one is closer in terms of if we get those series which which two teams are more neck and neck from conference to conference for you Probably Boston-Milwaukee. That's what my gut tells me. Me too. 
as much as, you know, felt some shooting pains and saw some stars in my vision as I had to admit that. Um, I think that's, I think that's where we are. And I think the conference finals in the East is going to be like, that's an all timer series. We might, uh, no, I, I wouldn't say we will see that as the finals. Cause I think the nuggets are that good, but it'll feel like, holy shit, we're getting this in the East bracket. Like that's how good the league is. And I just think these four teams to my point about it being chalk, I, I think you'd have to do a hell of a job convincing me it's going to be anybody else for me to buy it in either conference. I just think these four teams are going to all year be the cream of the crop, just leading the pack and standings wise are going to be a significant distance ahead of the rest uh, in in their respective conferences. Um, I believe we have the same NBA finals. Yeah, I'm going Nuggets and Bucks. Me too. Who's winning? The Denver Nuggets. Okay, I have the Milwaukee Bucks. I thought pretty hard about it. Obviously, it's a complete guessing game. We are eight months away from when this series would be decided. But I really like... We spent all last year talking about the antidote to Nikola Jokic and how it was like Rui Hachimura with Anthony Davis in the the background, the Grim Reaper looking over the shoulder of, of Jokic or PJ Tucker and, and Embiid in the Rover spot. The Bucks have that recipe, you know? And I think on the other end, the ability that Damian Lillard has to be sort of exactly what gives that Denver defense and Jokic's limitations on that end trouble in terms of a pull-up shooting guard. I like it. I think... The Bucks are one of the teams that match up best with Denver. And on the other end, good luck with whatever you're going to try to do to stop Giannis. Is Jokic ready for being a real last line of defense, a real wall former rim protector, absorbing fouls, absorbing contact that consistently? I don't think a lot of teams last year punished Jokic in that way. I think the Bucks can. So um, that's the best case I can make. But we also might just be in for year two of Denver being absolutely impossible to beat. I think everything you said is right. I also think Jamal Murray might just like be able to cook against Damian Lillard in the finals, and that pick and roll just might not be defendable in that series. You don't think Malik Beasley is going to shut Murray down? I don't think Jake Crowder at the point of attack is the answer. Not a Marjan Bochamp. Probably not going to be the one to step up out of nowhere and slow down Jamal Murray. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think the Bucks might have a, a move to make or a big... Um, signing or something they don't have a lot in the way of what they could actually do to make that type of a trade but uh i think they'll try something and maybe that's part of their answer it's just going to come down to their best players and i think honestly we talked about middleton in the preview for them he might be the most important player in the whole league this year yeah he is to me to me this all goes out the window if chris middleton isn't right like they just it's then it's boston denver in the finals probably Mm -hmm. mm-hmm mm-hmm Basketball is here. The NBA is back. We did, I feel like, somewhere in the neighborhood of 9 million hours of preview content. We did a lot. Brent, I've, I, wanna, I, want us, I want us each to, I didn't tell you I wanted to do this, but I want us to each ask one okay. homework question before we go. About the teams that we ourselves love and care for? Yeah, the teams we're thinking about primarily, me, the Cavs, you, the Suns. I want, I'm going to ask a question. I have mine prepared. You can think of yours as, as you answer. You're asking me about the Suns or you're asking me about I'm the asking Cavs? You, I'm asking you about the Cavs. Then you're going to ask me like okay. a Suns thing. 
Okay. okay. If Cleveland wants to upset one of these top two teams in the East, who do they match up better against? I think there's an easy answer here, and I've pulled a bunch of people on this. And one person told me one thing, and everyone else has told me the other thing, and that's the thing I think, but I, I think this is pretty obvious. I think they match up better against Boston. You're fucking high. How I do just, they match I, up well against the Milwaukee Bucks? What part of what not, Milwaukee's great at is Cleveland going to take away? Yeah, it's not about what they can take away. It's that the fact that like there isn't two big wings to attack them and two really good defensive guards to defend their two guards, plus Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown on defense. That's the whole mm-hmm. question to me. Boston's like formulation from their one through four and their probable closing lineups is just a nightmare for what Cleveland is. On the other hand, the Bucks are almost, you could look at them as just the 100th percentile of what the Knicks were last year with a dynamic all-star creator at point guard and a hell of a lot of size inside. And that seemed to stymie the Cavs quite a bit. I think you're right. I I think you could see Boston just switching into infinity and turning the Cavs offense into like playground basketball. Yeah. Yeah. And it's uh, just they right. don't have an an like they just don't have an answer for like Tatum or like and like unless Mobley's just gonna do it and he might need to. It's just it's hard. Mm-hmm. All right. On the Sun side. What are the percent chances that Yusuf Nurkic is not in the rotation by March first? <sighs> I like the Or even by cool. game one of the playoffs to make it a little easier. I'm going to say they just don't have a lot of trade assets. If they had like more stuff just to trade, I would like give this a much higher boost. But I'm going to say it's like 50-50 just because I don't know like what the lever... There's not a clear lever to pull to go get like a center you know is better. I had a friend who cares about the team as well predict that they'll sign Dwight Howard. So that's where we are in Phoenix right now. <laughs> uh, you know what though? Like is there a non-zero chance Dwight Howard's better right now than Yusuf Merkic? Dwight Howard also, uh, you know, we, we will we will stick to the premise of our program, which is just basketball. But Dwight has some things going on off the court that I would imagine prevent him from being a part of the National Basketball Association this year. And folks can go ahead and use the Google machine to figure out what's up with that uh, on their own time. I will not be spending any breath on that, but uh, I don't think it'll be him. It could be any number of other guys, though. And you could convince me they play over Yusuf Nurkic in game one of the postseason, and I would not even argue with you right now. Yeah. Um, Did you think we would get into Dwight Howard's legal troubles in our season no, I, predictions I, episode? Full, full disclosure, I didn't know about that. Then I Googled it and said, oh, okay. Yeah, it's messy, to say the least. So. Yeah. All right, no good way to transition out of that. We've made our picks. The season is here. And now we're going to preview the Boston Celtics and the Portland Trailblazers. Stay tuned for the rest of this jam-packed two-hour, dare I say, just basketball show. I liked it. All right, we're bring, we're going in now to preview the Boston Celtics. We have our TikTok guru, the man behind the scenes you've seen on our TikTok page, Zan Huda, to preview his his favorite team, the Boston Celtics. Zan, before yep. we dive into this, how, I, what is, who, who what is your Celtics fan origin story? Like, how did you end up becoming a Celtics fan? Uh, that's a yeah. So I like that story. So basically, I was like. <laughs> I want to say I was seven or six years old and we bought like me and my brother, we bought a used copy of NBA live 
we thought was NBA Live 05, but in the in the in the in the case was actually NBA Live 04. Uh, mm-hmm. So we played that game to like we beat the hell out of it. We played it so much for I don't even know how many years, and that was my NBA. That was what like really opened my eyes to basketball. And in that game, I loved using KG like Kevin Garnett. I I loved him. I loved shoot like he. I, I don't know what his rating was. He was probably like that was his MVP season. So he was probably ninety five, ninety six minimum, something like that. And I was a beast with him. I loved it. So he. So then at some point I started like, like obviously streaming and like watching games wasn't as accessible uh, back then. So like I couldn't watch that much. But then at some point around 08, I started to watch. And what I started to watch, I was like, okay, I'll be a Timberwolves fan, you know, because that's where KG is. And it turns out he's on the Celtics. So I didn't really watch the title year too much. So it very timely that I started watching after they won a championship uh, so I really the big three Celtics were my even to this day still my favorite team I ever watched like I but that and I don't like I have no connection to the city of Boston it's funny like I really have nothing but I've just always been really hard like hardcore Celtic fan for the last what is that 15 14 years now yeah probably good for your mental health that you didn't pick the Timberwolves Oh yeah, imagine that. Imagine I was rooting for Big Al Jefferson and uh, <laughs> Kevin Love, Ricky, Kevin Love, Ricky yeah. Rubio, uh, yeah, the, uh, Alexi Shved. That'd be a tough scene. That'd be tough. Alexi, Sh- Chris, Alexi do you Shved. have a, a video game character that you fell in love with? Don't. If it's LeBron, skip the story. But if it's not LeBron, <laughs> then please tell us. Because mine was Chauncey well, Billups. I played yeah. NBA 2K5 with. Pistons, Chauncey Billups, and I literally scored 103 points one time. Uh, so that's that's like my KG. Do you have a KG, or are you just going to be a LeBron stan again? No, my mine's a always, but two. The bat. This is a really bad answer. When I was a when I had I believe NBA Live 04 that same game, I always would. Ooh convince myself that Luke Jackson was going to work out and then I just needed to shoot her next to LeBron so I'd run the franchise mode and just feed him threes that he would brick because he was really bad and I was like coaching like division three basketball at like a Christian college or something so yeah deep cut so the game was telling you what you couldn't confront yourself basically yeah I was like they got this guy who was good in college and can shoot threes and it totally doesn't matter they didn't get Andre Andre Iguodala at 10 totally fine (laughs) Salutes Andre Iguodala, retired, great career. Which we already, oh, yeah. which you already knew, which great is good career. for winning the yeah, press cycle did. and getting pre- getting press for your podcast, which is just good PR work mm-hmm. by Andre Iguodala mm-hmm. and his team. All right, we're gonna do preview the Celtics. So this is what we do if you're turning in for the first time. Most important player, player we'll be talking about at the end of the season. Best lineup, best case, worst case, over under win total. To start, most important player. I think this is an, another easy one. I think it's Chris Epps Porzingis. It is Tinkus Pingus himself. It is the guy that they have reshaped their defensive identity to go and trade, that they gave up Marcus Smart for, that they need to stay healthy, that they need to play at a level in a different way that we haven't seen him really do before. I think there's a lot riding on this Porzingis trade working out because you are you committed to changing the way you play basketball in a lot of ways when you go get someone like Porzingis and swap out some things. So to me, not Tatum's the best player on this team. Jalen Brown's number two. That isn't any different. Drew Holiday, I think, is probably the third best player on this team. But in terms of everything clicking, I do think Chris Epps-Porzingis needs to have a really good season for this all to work. Zan, what do you think? 
Yeah, no, 100%. Like, Brennan, you sent over the little list, and I was just kind of writing down my answers in my notes app. Chris Stapp's easy for me is the number most important player because, like, the way I see it, like, I made a video about this a few days ago. Chris Stapp's, what they want from him is they want the shooting of Al Horford plus the rim protection of Robert Williams, but they want the consistency and the durability of Al Horford as well. But, like, so when you trade for a guy like Chris Stapp's who – like, yes, I know he had a relatively healthy season last year. He played 65, 63-something games. But, like, it's all riding on his health and his production as that third, fourth guy. Like, they're looking at a guy who's, I don't know exactly his percentages, but we know he's a good shooter. We know he can shoot from three, from deep. And we're hoping that you get that consistent shooting from him and you get the rim protection. So, like... It's a gamble. I, I did. It's a gamble. I thought was worth the risk. I do think it's a good idea, and I, I applauded the move. I maybe because I'm not from Boston, I wasn't the biggest Marcus Smart uh, staunch supporter. I, I was always like, I think he might have to go, and they they made an aggressive trade, and I'm with it. But like at the same time, it is a little risky because like you look at their depth. If he goes down, which, you know, thoughts, hopes, and prayers, he doesn't. But, like, if he goes down, it, it becomes a little risky. So you really, when you bank so much, both offensively and defensively, on Porzingis, you're looking at, you're hoping for, like, what, 17 and 8, 17 and 9, good defense, rim protection, health, 60-plus games. That could be a lot to ask, but hoping it, hoping it's not. Yeah, so he's he's my answer too. He's coming off the best season of his career, one of the healthiest seasons he's had in years. And I'll just add that I think in preseason he looked every he bit the great. part of of what you would want. Mm-hmm. Uh, played twenty plus minutes in in three of the games and fifty four percent shooting, fifty fifty straight up percent from deep. And it just like he's one of those guys where now that he is like eighteen months into looking incredibly healthy like i watch him and i'm like did he lose like 50 pounds but he didn't it's just he moves so much better all of a sudden kind of out of nowhere i mean he's talked a little bit about changing his uh, approach and training regimen and all that stuff but they're going to need not only an effective porzingis but i think an athletic physically imposing porzingis to protect the rim yes but also cover space be mobile like it's not enough for you know like you know i obviously am wearing my sun shirt and am terrified of what yusuf nurkic's lack of mobility is going to do it it's not like 2005 you can't just say like put the big guy at the basket right you have to cover space that's how their defense is at its best um they don't have like up 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 level size like the bucks do or some of these other great high level defenses necessarily have like they have white they have holiday they have brown those guys are like if they're all on the court together, you could say all three are undersized for their, you know, positions or or at least average. So I think they need that. And then on offense, it's like, yeah, he can shoot threes. But if you're really going to want him to increase the ceiling of this offense, like he's got to be attacking closeouts. He's got to be, you know, around the basket, getting those offensive rebounds that those freakish putbacks that we all kind of loved when he was a Nick a million years ago. And he's doing that stuff again. You know, he had six offensive rebounds in four preseason games. So I think all of it feels like it's coming together to not only be the replacement for some of what you were talking about, Zion, but also like 
make them a lot better is what it kind of seems like. And that's obviously why you make a move and consolidate two rotation players into one guy and give up the picks and all that stuff. So this feels like a no brainer to me. I think this has to be the answer because he does something. He does a lot of things. No one else on this team does. Yeah, I, I don't think I had. And do you guys have anyone else that was like your second choice to this? And like when you're working this out, because I didn't, I didn't, I just, I'm like, it's, it has to be him. I was thinking like because I was looking at their like their guard depth is kind of thin. You're looking at Drew Holiday, Derek White, Peyton Pritchard, Jalen Brown, like that like it's kind of thin there. So I I was thinking maybe like a Peyton Pritchard type, but again, a sixth man kind of uh spark plug offensive guy isn't necessarily going to be your most important player, but I I did kind of think of that uh for a second cuz it, it is a little thin um, on the on the backcourt, I think, a little bit. I obviously thought about Tatum, Chris, but yeah. uh, we're, we're going to talk about him a little bit in the segment we have not recorded yet, which people will have already heard in this episode. So I, mm. I kind of kept him off there. Um, I think we can just transition into the guy we're going to be talking about because Zayon already said mine, which is Peyton Pritchard. He mine, just got an too. extension. He is... Somebody that I think the uh, the lock uh, the COVID shortened season, not the bubble year, but the one after it looked pretty good and kind of felt like a guy who could be a sort of energy shooter type of player off the bench and a solid bench player, just a solid rotation guy. And then they got so good they didn't need him, but obviously they will this year. And I don't think his ceiling is some sort of, you know, three and D killer. Like he's not going to turn into Danny green overnight, but he has fine physical, you know, kind of strength and force to his game as a defensive player and a driver. He might be a little undersized, but he kind of makes up for it with that stuff. And he's just going to be able to make shots. So that's a player, you know, like the bucks would kill to have Peyton Pritchard, I think coming off of their bench, you know, that's, that's a, a type of player that I think every title team needs and so you know i i maybe it's 15 minutes a night and just kind of catch and shoot and play hard on defense but so be it i think he just has kind of gotten hidden by their depth the past few years and we're going to remember that he's pretty good what did you have zayon if you didn't have pritchard because chris and i both had him so i was thinking um again like obviously most important like it's a little bit of a like most important is obviously tatum i guess but like in terms of like a non-star guy i was also kind of thinking of a bench guy in uh in hauser the reason i think is he is a pure sniper like hauser i think is a great shooter um and in those moments where tatum's bricking where jalen's bricking uh drew holiday has suspect shot selection sometimes uh like we know like as much as the Celtics like to chuck up threes and as good as they were, like, I think they were like top five, top six, three point shooting percentage last year. Uh, we saw in the playoffs that can sometimes they hit those dry spells. All they're doing is trying to chuck up threes. And if they're going to do that, you need a sharp shooter sometimes and a Sam Hauser type player uh, who's out there to make threes. And only that if only he provides spacing, even if he doesn't get any shots up, he, I think he's respected enough as a shooter now where he will, like, defenses can't sag off and you got to hug up on him from the perimeter, giving Jalen Jason more perimeter, uh, more driving lanes. But, like, he was a guy I thought of, like, on the low key, like, he could be pretty important for them. Like, I was just looking at, again, I was looking at their depth chart, and, like, he's 
kind of slots in as the backup small forward. Like, so like if he gets a lot of run, it could uh, he could be real important for them. Got I don't more hate total. That uh, no, okay, he didn't get more total minutes than Grant Williams in the playoffs, but it felt like it. Like I think Joe Mazzulla yeah, trusts like him yeah. Uh, yeah, quite yeah. a bit. Forty-four percent shooter from deep in college. Forty. Uh, 2% so far in the NBA. And I think he plays pretty solid team defense and uses his length pretty well. Um, yeah. So, and he's 26. Like, he's only entering year three, but he was an older rookie. So, mm-hmm. somebody that is kind of in his prime physically. I, I like that pick. Um, cool. Do you have any more Pritchard thoughts, Chris? Did I steal your thunder there? No, I, I think it's just that there's a need for what he does. And I just, it feels to me like he might have an easier path to playing bigger minutes, even with the other guards they have, than, than like someone like Hauser or someone else who might pop up, right? Yeah. Like, they're just going to need someone to go out and shoot threes and space and give a little ball handling. And there's just room for a third guard there, I think, in a world where, you know, Marcus yeah. is gone. And yes, you still have, and Brogdon's gone. And yes, you still have Derek White. Yes, you still have Drew, you have Drew Holiday now, but. I think there's a need for that kind of skill set, the Pritchard. But the answer to this question, I think, might just be which one of them holds a better defensively in the playoffs. Like, that might be where we get to. And Hauser, just with his frame, like, maybe that's the answer. The the other thing I like about Pritchard, too, to your point about role, is I think that this team should actually try to not have – Holiday and White have to do too much on offense. And so I could even see Pritchard playing with probably not both of them, but one of them and actually being the initiator so that those guys can just really be terrorizers on defense. And obviously, like we know that they're good enough to handle the ball, run, pick and roll, initiate and transition. This team's going to play really fast, so they're not always going to have to worry about who has the ball. But I think there will be times where in the half court, they'll just have Pritchard dribble it up and say like, Derek, you go just stand in the corner because like we have the luxury of not making any one guy be too exposed. And then obviously Brown and Tatum are going to initiate so much. So uh, I like that call too. Um, Best lineup? Yeah, best lineup. I think uh, last year, did you pull the data for this? Because there is a lot of change here, Brendan. There is a lot of change, but uh, still pretty informative. So in terms of the best high volume lineup, they did get a lot of run out of smart white Brown Tatum Horford last year. But uh, in a little bit of a smaller sample, but probably the lineup that a lot of people might think of as the higher upside uh, version of this team, White, Brown, Tatum, Horford, Williams. So obviously Smart and Williams are both gone. There's no five-man unit of the players left over. We are kind of having to get creative. One thing I will point out, though, on top of all of that before we list ours off is Robert Williams had the second best. He was tied with Jason Tatum for the second best on off on this team. And that was in a year that we all kind of were pretty disappointed in Robert Williams relative to the previous year. So that's like a down season and he was still that valuable to them and a year where his coach didn't seem to trust him and his health wasn't cooperating and all that different stuff. So that's still a player that was, was pretty integral to not only their lineup construction, he could go big or small, but also just made them a lot better when he was out there. So, um, Zayon, who did you have for the best five-man unit for this team? So, I, the way I was thinking about it, I didn't look at, like, the data, like, like you were saying. But, I, like, I I was thinking, like, like you know, like, the when the trade was made in the holiday trade, the, the, the graphic we all saw, like, Holiday, Tatum, Brown, Porzingis, who was the fifth they put on there? 
whoever that was. But White, that was a fifth. So I was thinking that would probably be the best lineup in terms of a like name brand, like you know, name power, like everyone knows. But I, it's really for me, it's between that Horford and Porzingis. Uh, that's the thing. It, it, if we get the consistency, the 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 knowing his role version of Porzingis, where he isn't just necessarily hanging back at half court or at the top of the key like he sometimes would do with Dallas, uh, where there is a little bit of variety sprinkled in, where sometimes he's posting or, or sometimes he's you know a role man because he can be a lob threat too. Like that's the other part of mm-hmm. the Rob Williams game that I think he can take from where they kind of utilize him as a lob threat. So if I were to say who I think best version of each lineup, I think it would be with Porzingis. So it would be the Drew Holiday, Derek White, Tatum Brown, and Porzingis. Uh, but if I were to say what I might have more faith in, as old as Al Horford is, he has been really steady, even you know as he's getting older. That might be the more reliable, more like you know like consistent. But in terms of highest upside and what I think would be their like pack a punch lineup it's that Porzingis lineup yeah my my gut tells me it's white holiday tatum brown Porzingis yeah I think it's the lineup where you get the two just absolutely monster defensive guards tatum is tatum and brown are both good on defense in their own right and then you have Porzingis there who just needs to – his job on defense then is very simple. He needs to protect the rim. He needs to get rebounds. And, yes, he might get – they might try to pull him on switches at times, but, you know, you have you can scram. You can work around a little bit. This feels like a little bit – we haven't really talked much about Al Horford, but I, at some point it's just this is someone whose age may just catch up to him. Could be this year. I also just think – they. There's an offensive, there's a higher offensive upside with the Porzingis stuff just as an actual stretch five and not just kind of like a fake stretch five. Again, I'll respect that Horford, but Porzingis has the potential to just be more of a threat from that spot. And I, this line, that, this lineup's also like skews really big in a way that I like, even if the guards are not, you know, they're not six, six guards or anything like that, but they're strong, they're physical. Like, that's a five man unit that is going to be a pain for absolutely anyone to match up with if it all clicks together. But it's it's going to take, I, I would also expect that group is going to take some time to fully mesh and, and find its identity. And it's something that you're hoping clicks maybe when you get to March and in April, and, as opposed to right now. So, first of all, put some respect on Al Horford shooting. 48% in the 2022 postseason, 45 last year, and Chris is calling him a fake stretch five. Like, the guy has not proven anything. Okay. Like, he's 23 right. out here. Um, no, I get you. Uh, I, I think it's, like, you would hope that Chris Stapps Porzingis is probably a more consistent, reliable floor spacer yeah. than uh, than the corpse of Al Horford, which is also some disrespect for, for good measure. Um, he's not a corpse. And I think he actually will perform well, and that's why I brought him up. I think... The point I want to make with this lineup and the why I picked it, I have Derek White off the court. I have Holiday Brown, Tatum, mm. Porzingis, Horford. Mm. I think that in particular, I'm thinking of the teams that they're going to need to beat. And I think this is a big reason why a lot of people have been surprised that they might start Horford. We still don't fully know because Horford missed some time in preseason. Then Drew ended up starting anyway. Like, we'll see what it is, uh, I believe, Wednesday or Thursday, whenever they debut. Um, but... I just like the size and I like it against, again, the teams are going to have to beat Milwaukee with Giannis and Brooke, Denver with Jokic, um, you know, 
you could feel how you want to feel about the Sixers, but Embiid is obviously still there. I just think in most of the highest profile games against the best teams that they're going to need to overcome to win the championship, they're going to have to play big. And you could go actually white over Drew, but I just went like, give me the most versatile size possible. Give me the most swarming physical team that I can run out there and uh, kind of try to keep the identity of what they've been while incorporating the new pieces. So that's where I came down. Um, but there will be plenty. I like. I think that that small ball lineup that you guys have, like it could be the best lineup in the NBA statistically. Like especially on yeah. offense. What the hell do you do? It has those kind of vibes, you know, where it's like you look at their five man lineup per sixty or whatever, and it's just like unreal. And people are like, "What the heck is this team?" Like it has that because they cover all the bases, right? You got the spot up shooting, you got the post ups, you got the uh, the ball handling, like defensively rebound, you got everything on that lineup. So, yeah. There's going to be so many possessions where Tatum or Holiday or Brown, it's like you almost don't know if the defense fully realizes they're on the court because of how easy it's going to be with the spacing and the just you can't double anybody. You know, it's it's going to be it's going to be pretty crazy. Um, best case, Chris, I have along those lines. I think this team maybe more than any of the other teams we think of in the top four who we've previewed all of in the past week or so. I think this team could maybe steamroll its way to a championship more than anyone else. Now, they're not my pick to win the championship, but they Same. have the best upside in the NBA, I think in terms of like if if all these things we've listed off as ifs here hit Porzingis is healthy Horford stays healthy the chemistry works Tatum and Brown are able to get better because of the added talent and spacing around them and all this other stuff like I could see a a pretty easy run even with the level of competition out there uh if if everything does go their way but I don't think it will (laughs) I guess uh but that's that's the best case for me I agree. I, I think this is one of the teams in my upper echelon. Uh, we talked about this in the preview section, but I have that upper echelon of in the East, it's Milwaukee, Boston. In the West, it's Phoenix and Denver. Those are the teams that I am looking at as, as being the most up there, being the, the teams I am most sure are capable of, of winning the title right now. Um, and certainly there's some risk there. Certainly there is there are some parts there where we will see where that ends up and, and see how this all does ultimately shake out. But I, I think the ceiling is there for them to just be an absolute nightmare matchup for a lot of teams and get to the finals and actually get over the hump this year. That is very much in play for this Boston, even if there's there's some there's a lot, I think, that does have to go right to some degree. What yeah, do you got to say? For sure. Like, uh, obviously, best case scenario, you win a championship. But best case scenario in terms of like how you win the championship, like you were saying, Brandon, like a steamroll Denver Nuggets type of where you only lose what four or five games like I can see that happening if like you said if everything goes right and if the matchups kind of work out like we don't know how good how well Miami will do in this regular season as a Celtic fan I have the utmost respect for the Miami Heat and always will they scare the hell out of me like every year so again they didn't really do much this year this offseason they got who Thomas Bryant some other people but like I always like you always worry about them you always worry about the Bucks you always worry um not I shouldn't say worry the Sixers are always a consideration 
um, if you, the way I was thinking about like this question, best case scenario, I, I was thinking like, oh, seeding will be real important for the Celtics. But then I really thought about it, and I was like, I don't know if it is because they lost Game Seven at home. They got blown out. Their best like like real gritty moment came Game Six in Philly when Tatum hit those four threes. And the so I don't know if home court advantage is necessarily like a need for them. And also mm-hmm. considering how much better they got talent wise, but best case scenario they go like 16 and 5 16 and 4 run through the east easy easy not easy but you know dominate the finals uh but if i were to give a likelihood of how likely i think that is i'd i'd put it at like 15 percent how how far probable that is (laughs) yeah they had that big game six in milwaukee two years ago too so they definitely i think when you've been around the postseason as long as they have you would kind of hope that it's not, but I also, I mean, we'll get to over under in a minute. I, I think they probably will get the one seed. Um, worst case, I have the front court can't stay healthy. And even though they added a bunch of talent, their offensive ceiling in the biggest moments is still not as high as the other teams. You're still relying on the same players to lift your offense, primarily Tatum. Does he have more room to get better? What does that look like? Can the talent around him just kind of do that for him? If that doesn't happen, that's one of the big things that is standing in this team's way because, you know, they can space the floor and launch threes and have size and be versatile on defense all they want, but that's been true of them for a while. Uh, What has to change is those late-game moments, can they score better than their opponent, you know, and their opponent's going to have Jokic, Lillard, Booker, Durant, you know, and Tatum's going to have to rise to that. So if that doesn't happen, that would be a worst case to me. Uh, what you got, Chris? I would just, I would echo that, but I would also say you are in a position now where you are a little thinner up front. You just are, and I get why you did it, but if Porzingis is injured again, and age gives up to Al Horford, or he gets overtaxed in some way, then I think you have a real problem up front, and I think that leaves a glaring weakness when you're playing Milwaukee and, and you're trying to, to maybe compete with Denver or some of these other teams for a title. I think if that particular position group isn't healthy, there, there's a real, real problem um, in store for Boston. Yeah, no, 100%. Like, it's all about their health, both of them. Like, and if... And, to add on to the health, I don't want to have flashbacks of 2019 Boston. Now, that was a very hyped-up team as well. They had the Kyrie, they had the younger Tatum and Brown. Um, but that the the real problem there was like the offensive continuity never really came. And if this, these Celtics are in and out off like how Porzingis in and out health wise, how Horford in and out, anything happens to Tatum Brown, like you know like. These things, you know, if the continuity doesn't get there, and we know Tatum and Brown, as long as they've been playing together, their continuity still isn't, like, ideal. Like, there's a lot of overlap. There's a lot of times where their fit isn't there. So I'm hoping, like, the worst-case scenario is continuity never quite get there, like you said, Brendan, in the biggest moments. The offense is still kind of one-dimensional where you're just driving kick, driving kick, like that's the worst case scenario where they didn't really, where they don't really learn from their mistakes of last season of trying, like you have to vary up your offense and health obviously. But yeah, if you don't learn from those mistakes, you don't get build that continuity, gel this team together. This could be a redo of 2019 where you flame out second round to the box or whoever. 
Can I, Zan, can I get real quick just from you as a Celtics fan and not someone yeah. like us who's looking at this from the outside, can I get a temperature check on Joe Missoula? So, like, okay, so me personally as a, like, the way I perceive coaches, I, a lot of the times I feel like the criticism coaches get is super results-based. Like, oh, it's yeah, super absolutely. just, it's, it's just like, oh, he just didn't happen. He's a bad coach. He does a little bit, like, a bounce goes their way. All of a sudden, he's a genius, right? So I will say that the timeouts thing that Joe Mazzulla got criticized for a lot. Sometimes I was questioning this. I was like, dude, this is not. The Celtics haven't proven where they're that kind of mental fortitude team where you're just like let them play it out. Like sometimes you really need to rally the truth. But I do think, like as a, I think he did some great things in the first half of the season last year. Like the Celtics were on fire, and a lot of it. You got to give credit to a guy who comes in after the the Udoka scandal. Held like I was very down on the Celtics coming into last season. I think coming into last season, I had them finishing like fifth or something in my like season preview that I did. I had them going, and a large part of it was because I thought Udoka was such a good coach for them. And now he's gone. Can Missoula scramble like figure it out? And to his credit. They won 50, what, 57 games last season. So he's not a bad coach, if that's the question. I think he's a good coach. If anything, like he kept it steady until the playoffs. So I think he's good. The interview he did with J.J. Redick made me a believer. I'm, I'm all yes. in now. I'm just yeah, like, 100%. all right, give it to me. Like somebody who's that self-aware and can just kind of speak to the failures that they've had and be like, yeah, yeah. I messed that up. I'm young. I, I didn't have time. I didn't do this the right way. And then, you know, it, it, we failed like that's that, you know? So I kind of feel like that's the mentality you have to have to not do that the next time. Uh, so I kind of yeah. feel like you will. Um, all right. Over under is Over 55 under. and a half. It kind of feels like that is the least important part of what we've talked about here. Cause this team is a regular season juggernaut that literally only June matters at this point for, but they were, as Zayon said, 57 wins last year. They got better. I think we all agree. Uh, the number is lower than 57, so therefore I'm going over. Um, I think the NBA is going to have a clear top of the pack this year, and I think Boston could be the best of that entire group. So this one feels like a lock, even though it is so high. It's kind of crazy to say, but I think that's where we are. What do you got, Chris? I don't think this is a lock just because I think there is some risk, but I I would lean the over as well. I think this is a team that could win like 58 to 61 games and I wouldn't be surprised. I think they could be that good. Um, I think they're, I think particularly when you, and this is a new, but when you have Tatum and Brown, night to night, you're going to face teams that just can't guard those guys and can't match the size on the wing. And there's a bunch of teams in the East that are built for them just to, to gobble up and feast on in that way. So I would lean the over as well, but I, I don't, it doesn't feel like a lock to me just because I think there's some risk for them to have some injuries, muddle through some stuff, and win like 53 games, even if we think of them as a title contender at the end of the season. Zan, what about you? Yeah, I'm leaning more that way, honestly. I'm thinking, like, I feel like there'll be a slowish start to the season in getting the continuity there. Um, and yeah, I feel like if you do a power rankings of the team, they could be one or two. But I feel like in terms of actual win total, I could very easily see them capping out at like 53 um, just because of injury risk, continuity building, um, you know, these things usually result in a lesser win total than what you expect. And I don't think they have like 
say the Bucks in the past few seasons, even when Giannis is out, their system was so well built for the regular season that even when they were missing their best guys, they could still whoop some of the mediocre teams in the league. I don't know if the Celtics have that right now because of we don't know their continuity status, essentially. We don't know how well they're gelled up. Um, and so if some guys miss some time, will it will those games where those guys are missing time, will those just add up to losses that we might not predict as of right now? So I'd go I'd actually lean the under on the fifty five and a half. Yeah, I I think I, I think they're a team that can obviously afford to mess around in the regular season and it's probably okay yeah. to some degree, yeah. right? Like I As long as by the time the last few weeks come along and they've figured it all out, then that's all that matters. Yeah, if they know who their eight-man rotation is, who who is going to occupy those last couple spots and they're healthy, and if they're the like if they're the three, let's just say they're like the three seed or something, and the Knicks or the Cavs like have like a great year and end up as like the two seed, and they play in the second round, I'm going to pick Boston to win in the uh-huh. second round against one of those teams. It doesn't matter to me as much right now on paper like where they really end up in some way. Um, I am. Who would you got? Let me end up, let's end on this before we get out of here. Who do you guys think has more pressure to win in the regular season? A more need to win in the regular season between Boston and Milwaukee. Like who needs the one seed more on from the outside looking in? I don't think either team needs it. I think Milwaukee will probably press a little harder to play its best lineups, play its best players more, try its best stuff during the regular season because they had a more like structural shift. Lillard is a bigger piece to incorporate than like Porzingis is. So I would say that they'll kind of press for that. I don't think that they're going to achieve it, but they'll probably be the one wanting it more. I just think Boston's talent will win out and that's why I have them ahead of it. Yeah, no, that makes yeah. sense. And plus the Bucks new head coach, new point guard who's like, I think they'll, and Giannis has always been, like he runs through the regular season at a like even though he kind of coasts now he's, he's a little older but like his regular season dominance is it's ridiculous he wins you 55 games without you know really thinking about it so i th- i would agree that the bucks would probably be the one seed but i don't know if either of them really need it more than the other yeah all right, let's end it there. The Boston. Well, actually, Zan, well, let, let me ask you this: Just yes or no? Is Boston winning the title this year? We talked. We made our picks. Brennan and I have both not are not picking Boston. Are you picking Boston? Uh, we know Dylan's. Yeah. We know our our producer Dylan's <laughs> picking the Lakers. Where is picking the Lakers? He's just picking he's Lakers, picking the Lakers. All the way through. Oh, he's okay. just you know they're gonna sixteen and zero in the playoffs. The LA Lakers. All right, is Dylan's sure, official sure, thing. Sure. If Dylan, if Dylan, if that, in, unless you counter what I said, that you have to, we're taking that as fact to the bank. So I'll tell me. <laughs> I'll say I say they don't. I say they don't. Okay. Win. I don't. I don't think they win. Yeah. Okay. Hope I'm wrong, but I say they don't. <laughs> for for your happiness, I I hope yeah. you're wrong as well. Yeah. Uh, thanks again, Zan, for coming on again. Check out all he does. His he has his own TikTok account that does great stuff on, and he's managing the Just Basketball account, Just Basketball Show TikTok account now. So check that. Give it a follow. Coming up next, Eric Garcia Gunderson previewing the Portland Trailblazers. Time to preview the Portland Trailblazers, a team we pushed due to the Damian Lillard trade saga, and there's no one else we would rather do this with than our guy, Eric Garcia-Gunderson. Eric, what's up, my man? How are you? Dude, 
very excited, very blessed to have had the discipline this preseason to avoid watching preseason because I really want to go in just fresh, no expectations into this new era because I feel like that's the safest way to go into it is to go in with no expectations. So, and I'm excited to have a season really that has no expectations uh, just because we've known for a while what, what what's going to go on here or what the, what the storyline was. And so, yeah, thank you guys for having me. And I'm excited to talk about a season that I'm excited about. And I think a lot of people around here are excited for a fresh start. We are going to do our full season preview stuff with the spare. I have a fake trade I want to hit you with first, just because I feel Ooh, like right off the bat, right off the rip, right off, the, right off the bat, right off the rip city. Dare we say here? Um, so Stephen Adams gets hurt for Portland or for Memphis. Obviously, a concern for them at center. Would you take, let's say, Adams or Brandon Clark's money, a first? another protected first and like one of just pick one of their their many young guys just pick the one you like vince williams kenneth loft like pick one of those guys to throw in for time lord yeah uh brendan clark for sure get sign me up Uh, you know i know he has a torn achilles but i think if you put in the time to come back from that at his age you know i think that's really enticing and again he's you know a really athletic guy that can, I think could play next to Aiton and he's around the same age range as everybody uh, has a nice contract. Also, I think uh, I like that. Now, I, obviously I want to see, I would like to see time Lord play a little bit, but I think long-term there's a lot of concerns about time Lord's, you know, knee and him coming back too early in that playoff run a couple of years ago. And I would probably rather bet on Brandon Clark um, as like a long-term. And also I just think fit wise, I think it might work. But now, you know, I do want to see Robert Williams though, because I do think the Blazers could use some of his passing ability on offense. And I, and I, I do want to see how that works out, but especially for, if you're getting two picks, I mean, you kind of have to do that. I think ultimately. Now I, I, I you know, I want to see Time Lord, but I think you have to do that. Brendan, do you, do I think you everybody kind of needs to see him. Yeah, I think everybody yeah. kind of needs to see him before. You know, we talked about that trade when we were hitting on Adams on Monday, Chris, and I liked it. But I think, how does he look out of Boston? Was it that Joe Missoula didn't want to play him, or was it that he can't play? as many minutes as maybe Celtics fans or NBA fans have been pushing for him to play. Um, And that obviously dictates, okay, how good is his contract? Is it like, nice, okay, like you're getting a good budget player for, uh, you know, starting caliber center, or is it like a steal because he's actually, you know, 20% better than we ever even saw in Boston? I think all of that I would want to know before I'm giving up anything for him but two picks would be a lot i think so um well, that would protect, be that I'm would be there like a, but a, but memphis a is protected desperate. fake first protected fake first like some sec like it's probably just some seconds you know like it's it's a it's a win I mean, in terms of like the pr spin for the blazers and you know it's all all this is is like optics half the time 
Yeah, it depends on how, how they feel about Brandon Clark too. Like if they're like if they're worried about him long term, but I, I, you know, I think there's worry on both sides there as far as coming back from big injuries. And I don't know. I, I, I would, I would like that, and especially if Portland could get a first, I, that's what I would try to hold out for. Uh, because yeah, Memphis is desperate. They're on a timeline. Their jaw and JJJ are paid now. They're not like just guys on rookie contracts where it's like a nice story that they're, you know, a playoff team. Like, you know, they were the number two seed in the West the last two years. Like I think, and and, and they did have that era where they accumulated a ton of picks and they have a ton of assets. Like Memphis has the stuff to make a trade like that to save this season. So I would ask for that stuff if I'm Portland, because you know, Memphis is in that position now where they have to do stuff to make their team win now because they're in the win now timeline, you know, and I think people with how young they are, I, people, I think still people like consider them like a young and up and coming team when I don't really think that that's where they are. They are the establishment, in my opinion, or at least they were before the, the Adams injury. I think that's all fair. All right. Season preview time. Most important player, player we're talking at the end of the season, best lineup. Over, under, best case, worst case. Every category we are going to do here. And let's start with the most important player. I'll kick this off because I, I kind of feel like I have a sneaky suspicion. We all have the same answer here. I think the, the answer is Scoot Henderson. This, this is Scoot Henderson's franchise to me to some degree now. I, I you know I like Sharp. I still like Anthony Simons. I know Dominaton is in town now and... You got to contend with the the you know the dominating era, I guess. No chuckle out of Brendan, which is really what I'm going for by just making Andre. We talked about this. He's been doing that for five years in Phoenix, man. I didn't learn about it two weeks ago, like everybody else. So the it, it is embarrassing, but I'm over it. I'm 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 cleaning my mind. I'm cleaning my okay. heart, and I'm moving on to the Andre you're, era. You're, okay, you're cleaning the glasses. He's going to need to do for them. But I I think this is Scoot Henderson. This is his situation now i think if they have a guy who's going to be the best guy in this team in three years and help them get somewhere high again it's going to be because of scoot and i think it all starts here so that's to me the guy i'm going to be watching eric do you do you have someone else or is is it scoot to you as well i have two answers um most important player for the franchise is scoot 100 i totally agree with that most important player for this season though i think is anthony simons like if they're mm. gonna be like a surprising fun team like the you know that fans want them to be that that they that they exceed expectations that they win some surprise games and try to be like i know a lot of fans have thrown out like they could be like utah last year which like i don't you know we'll get to the over under later and i'll explain and i'll i'll share why but i think if they're gonna win games anthony simons is gonna be the guy at the end of games he's gonna be the guy taking the biggest shots uh, to me, that to, that to me, I think if they're going to win games this season, Anthony Simons is probably going to be one of the biggest reasons, if not the biggest reason. Uh, and then I would say that Scoot is overall the most important player just for the franchise's growth. Um, you know what you need, see out of him, he's got to be, he's got to show something. You know, what I mean, like you said, like this is his situation ultimately. And I think the how him and Ant play together is going to be really interesting. Like. Because he kind of took a step back in preseason, and Ant, it was the Ant show. Um, because Ant is the, the the lead guy, and he's the veteran. But is that going to continue? Because like Scoot really hasn't been the backseat guy at any level, and so I'm interested to see how that plays out. 
Who do you got? I had, I had a, I think it could be flip-flopped in any direction because we're talking about a young team. So typically with these, the guy we're going to be talking about that category is the up and comer, the, the breakout candidate, whatever. Everybody on this team is sort of a breakout candidate. So I had a hard time picking between the two, but my two guys were Scoot Henderson and Shaden Sharp, but we can start with Scoot. Um, I had him more on the guy we're going to be talking about. I, we've already been talking about him, but I like the Anthony Simon shout because I do think, you know, he is by far the most experienced player. This is year six for him. We talk about him as part of this group of developmental guys, but he came into the league so young. He's already on his second contract, already has a lot under his belt. He, What I like about him is that he doesn't turn the ball over in terms of mm. kind of giving him a little bit more solid footing and high floor as far as turnovers go or as far as uh, initiation goes because he's not such a foul or risk prone player or or mistake prone player but with scoot i think i mean it's to chris's point right it's like this this season is about what is year one look like for a guy that you expect to eventually be the best player on what you hope is a championship caliber version of the portland trailblazers is he that is his starting point somebody that you think is going to become that type of player young point guards take a while he is gonna be sharing ball handling duties how does he change his game and adjust and how does the shot come along and how does the defense come along what is he like off the court all those things are going to be huge and dictate a lot about where this team goes because again not to get ahead of ourselves but i think there is a pathway to have the blazers maybe not have to fully bottom out the way other franchises have had to because of how they got lucky in the lottery, the Dame trade and everything else. And if Scoot is able to show a lot of progress or show a great starting point as a rookie, you just feel a lot better that their next chapter can kind of start sooner. So that's what I think uh, is kind of all in his hands right now. I am very excited just to see how they empower him in the different ways he is used. Ultimately, I think that I think Eric, to your point with with Simons, one of the beauties of for Scoot is I don't think he's has to he's not he's going to get to make mistakes, but he's not going to have to do so much that he built a bunch of really bad habits being the only guy that can dribble a basketball on a team. Like there is structure here with Simons with eight. I think with Sharp, who I, who's going to be my who let's transition to that is my answer for a player we're going to be talking about at the end of the season. Like he's had a year under his belt now. He's going to get more room to grow here. He's still super young. I think that's going to be the guy you're going to look at the end of the year and be like, oh, that's like another dude Portland has. I don't know what his ceiling exactly is. Are we looking at him as a fringe all-star guy? Is there a future all-star berth in there? We don't really know, but I think we're going to be I, – I feel confident in saying we are going to be really excited about Shaden Sharp as a piece of the Scoot-led core. That's where I think this is headed. It's those two guys at the front for me. But I think at the end of the year, all that hype, I think, about Shaden Sharp is going to feel very validated. 100 percent i'm i'm totally with you chris i have shay on my list as well as the most talked about i just think his game also lends itself to being talked about uh his high flying ability around the rim his hang time uh is just really special and uh yeah i know and i think talking about what his ceiling might be i think is going to be really fun and i mean i think he has with his size and his ability 
you know, he has the like, he has the potential to be the best player on this team, you know, down the road. And I think that that's what you can, you know, you know, Scoot will be the leader because that's who Scoot is. But uh, I think Shaden, you know, I think Shaden also can step up here to the leadership play and, and and also be more of a leader for the team because now that Dame is gone, you know, there's going to be a vacuum there. And, and I'm excited to see Shay. And I think 100% he's definitely going to be, uh, I think probably the most talked about guy. Uh, but I think scoot is, you know, the one B to that. So scoot is in both answers for me on most important and most talked about, and then Shay and ant. But uh, I, I think it's yeah. Shay for sure. What parts of, how he closed the season do you kind of buy the most because that was a big storyline it's just of course all young players kind of go through that on bad teams of how do you really count or measure or weigh what they do in losing scenarios but he did it so what do you what did you take from that that you feel like was kind of real and and this is something we know now about Shaden Sharp based on how he closed last season I just think he's a gifted scorer in every aspect of the game. I mean, his dunk, his dunks get the most uh, attention, but he, his, his three pointer is so smooth. The way it goes through the net is just like, it's just pure. And he's got a mid range game. He can finish up and under with finesse. He can finish with power. Um, And I think he also likes to play good. I think he likes playing defense which I think obviously you don't see that when you see the dunking highlights, but he can, he really takes pride in guarding his man one-on-one. Obviously some of the scheme stuff, he'll, he'll miss it assignment last year, you know, cause he's a rookie and he's, you know, didn't even play college basketball, but uh, I think all that's going to come. And I think he, he can be, a, I think the two wayness of him is, is probably the most underrated thing about him because obviously the Blazers, you know, They've been a shitty defensive team. Excuse me, if I my can I curse on here. Oh yeah, you can fucking curse. Uh, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, they've been a shitty defensive team for a long time. So, and last year was no exception to that. So, um, yeah, I, I think you know well, his defense. I think is going to be kind of exciting. Brendan, do you have enough? Like, are you gonna pay, are you gonna be like? Like yeah, what what's, you, the, are you picking, what's the zag? Are you, what's what's the zag here, Brendan? I feel like if anyone I already gave you mine. I already okay. gave you mine. I said that uh, Shaden was I had as most important because I agree with Eric's idea that I think there's a, a version of this team where he's the best player, and I think most often in the NBA in 2023, the best player is more like six five or bigger, not six two. So uh, you know, I think you might kind of hope it's that. I also think where he plays and what the ultimate build out of this team is, is, is going to be interesting just because right now he's going to be a three. I, I think he's kind of a small six, six to me. So he's probably more of a second tallest guy on the court, in my opinion. And you maybe have a player even bigger than whatever Jeremy Grant is now. Of course, he won't be on the best version of this team in five years, but I think you want more forward size around him. So how does he adjust and adapt as he goes through playing a little bit smaller? And then I had Scoot as my guy we're going to be talking about just because I kind of tried to layer it of like the a little bit, the slightly older guy should be the more important. And then the the younger guy should be the one we're going to talk about. But again, it's a young team. So uh, I think we covered everybody. I mean, I had uh, do we want to, you know, spend like 
15, 20, 30 minutes on Chris Murray or maybe just move on to this line? <laughs> no, I mean, I want to talk about Aiton a little bit. Like he was, yeah, on, my, do it. He was on my short list. Um, and I mean, look, I'm excited to have a, a, a younger center that can finish some lobs and stuff like that. But Well, can, can, yeah, feel- can, we can just say a, a guy with legs who can move better than Yusuf Nurkic and Robin Lopez before him could. Right. And I think, look, Nurkic honestly had a lot of really good like on-off stats and like defensive rim protection stats on-off because the rest of the team could not protect the rim at all. And it's like, it's like that's one of the things about that's like a little misleading sometimes about on-off stats. But also, Nurk will do – he will help. I think Phoenix in some ways, but offensively, most of all, I think just with his passing ability and his screening ability. Um, what, Brendan, I know you know Aiton, you know, very well. I mean, I know that he's always wanted to do more offensively, but what do you, what defensively can, like, do you think the Blazers can, like, expect from him? Because I feel like, that's, you know, th- being able to block shots and do things above the rim is just something like the Blazers just haven't had for a long time. He doesn't really block shots. Um, I think I think that it's going to be a struggle for him to stay engaged and make a consistent positive def- defensive impact to, like, insulate the younger players, be a real backline kind of garbage collector, you know, cleanup man behind the obviously inexperienced and porous perimeter defense just because if he struggled to do that consistently on a good team with great perimeter defense i don't feel great about how it's going to look on a bad team but i do think that there's a little bit left to be kind of explored with him that i was thinking we might see in phoenix this year which is He's really mobile and he is really athletic. And can you be a little bit more creative with what you're asking him to do on the defensive end besides just playing drop coverage against the pick and roll and guarding in the post and basically playing like he is Yusuf Nurkic? I don't think they ever really explored that in Phoenix. So can he blitz and hedge on on ball handlers? Can he switch more? Can he move his feet and do more of that? I think that would be what you're hoping is kind of undiscovered and untapped in his game. If there's one thing that Chauncey's and his coaching staff have impressed me with, it's their willingness to try stuff like that on defense. They try to mix up coverages and mix up blitzes and mix up switching. And his offense, you know, obviously he's not – the offense isn't – and even the last couple years of Stotts, it wasn't as creative as it once was. But I think the defense, that – I think is interesting to me because I think the Blazers wanted to do more stuff defensively and Nurkic kind of just, or sometimes they'd have Nurk do that stuff and it just didn't. And it was horrible. It was like, why would you do that? And, and, and so I think their willingness to explore stuff on defense with Aiton and they also want to push the pace this year, which is another thing that like, you know, with a young team, they always say that though. Mm-hmm. I I am for all, like I don't think this team's going to win a lot of games. I am just excited about a lot of the talent they have. Like I do, just like the rough structure of what is here. And if you add to it, you know, if you flip Brogdon, if you flip Robert Williams, if you know Chris Murray hits in some way, or one of these other guys, you you take maybe someone overpays for Jeremy Grant, who is like still on this team and making lots of money. Like maybe like <laughs> the room. Like, hey, the the I didn't watch any of it. 
But the preseason uh, guy that everyone was talking about around here was Tumani Kamara, who effectively plays the same position as Jeremy Grant. He's like a 6'9 combo forward. And so if he's actually good, then maybe it makes sense to trade, trade Jeremy Grant. Right now, I don't think they should do that because I think it's the best thing for our young guard, for the young guards here to benefit from having mm-hmm. – NBA caliber players around them. I, you know, like not every, and especially also think, I think the fan base obviously is cool with tanking, but like, this is also not a fan base that really loves to be horrible. Like they, they expect, they expect a like level of competitiveness that like, they're at least okay. And I feel like having Jeremy Grant just raises your floor a little bit. And just like it just makes you a little bit more entertaining to watch, which I think does have a little value here. Mm-hmm. Agreed. All right, move on to best lineup. Uh, kind of not worth going into last year just because this guy named Damian Lillard played for this team and he no longer is there. Uh, he plays for the Milwaukee Bucks. And as we've been recording this, it seems like Giannis Antetokounmpo may have just broken his own Supermax extension. So, uh, yeah, I want it. <laughs> Yeah, I wanted to oh, wow. I wanted to slip this in. We're not gonna. We'll talk about this later in the week or in this episode as we're recording this. The timing of this is Monday. Rookie extensions have come in. We've seen some some deals get done. Giannis tweeted that he's extended. So, wow. Okay. Well, he beat he beat Woj to the punch. That's that's amazing. Well, I guess I guess John Horse did his job then. Got he yeah, locked he got he got he got Giannis to lock in the extension. So. Uh, it was a pleasure doing. It was a pleasure doing business with John Horst for the Blazers, I guess. <laughs> yeah, either him. he got hacked and this is like a fake, or like Giannis like did something very cool. After I, I also enjoyed the video of him giving away a pair of his shoes to everyone, including Dame, who's an Adidas guy, and all the team, which are like, you know, Dallas Adidas, and we're like teasing him about it. And they ended up having a very wholesome like exchange of shoes that they're going to have each other sign. I'm just like, dude's rock, man. Love. Dudes. I wonder if Giannis heard. Some, I, w- I wonder if Giannis heard something about the TV deal. Giannis is just like, you know, yeah, yeah. Giannis, Giannis read the reports about the Amazon thing and was like, I'm hedging my bets now. Just give me my bag. Yeah, just give me the money now. Yeah, just give me the money now. I mean, that seems like all I guys said. Regardless, best lineup. I'm just going to go for vibes on this one, if I'm being honest. But I also think this is pretty straightforward. It is Scoot. It is Anfreddy Simons. It is Shaden Sharp. It is Jeremy Grant. And it is DeAndre Ayton. There's your five. Your five players that all kind of fit together. I don't know how good that lineup actually is, but it's the one that makes sense. And it puts the, the all the young guys I want to see on the floor at the same time. Yeah, I, I have that as my first one. I have two lineups that I want to go with because I have one. That I have that exact lineup, the Scoot, Ant, Shaden, Grant, and Ayton. Um, but one lineup that I really, really, really want to see is Scoot, Shaden, Jeremy Grant, Robert Williams, and Aiton. Yeah, um, me too. I, I want to see the big boys. Like, obviously, I just want to. I just want to see two bigs. I want to. I want to try and get some rebounds. I want to use Williams' passing. Uh, I want to see Scoot run the show. Uh, you know, I I, I want to see that. I mean, I think him and Ant, obviously, they're going to start. Uh, I think uh, Chauncey Billups said that today. But yeah, uh, the, I I think that that that's right there with my second lineup, though, with the Scoot Shea, Jeremy, Robert Williams, and Aiden. How about you, Brendan? I uh, I want to see. Uh, yeah, I had the same thing as you guys as far as the best one with 
what I think will be the starting lineup. But I, I also think, at least until he leaves, Malcolm Brogdon will probably be a pretty good on-off guy for mm-hmm. this team. Because they, you know, one thing we haven't hit, just analyzing them as they currently stand as like a basketball team rather than a, a bunch of developmental projects, which is probably what they actually are, but they don't have a lot of shooting. And so I think Brogdon is somebody who, when he's out there, I, I don't know what the rotation patterns will be. I think it's probably going to be somewhat night to night, but whether it's him and I think especially him in place of Scoot, just to be honest, you know, a young point guard, not typically a guy you see being like a plus 10 in net rating <laughs> right off the bat. Um, I could see like a Brogdon, Simons, Sharp, Grant, Williams lineup. I don't know if those guys, five guys will ever play, but that seems like one of those where we could look back at the end of the season and be like, hold on, what lineup was the actual best one? And it might be that just because it has, I think Robert Williams is per minute, a better player than DeAndre Ayton. And I think Malcolm Brogdon is just a reliable vet. So I think those guys are kind of two to circle. Also, uh, you mentioned Damian Lillard's gone, Chris, and Yusuf Nurkic obviously gone, which Eric mentioned was a big on-off boon for them. Quietly, Josh Hart also was, and and he has been gone for longer, but they 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 kind of really benefited from the the physicality and size and defense of of him. Matisse Thibel also a big positive for them in terms of on off last year, so maybe he sneaks into one of these top lineups. There's a lot of options, I think, in terms of kind of those smaller sample, lower number of possessions, but statistically, it's the best you know because i think to your point chris that that starting five that we all had it's like yeah that's the one that makes the most sense that keeps the players developing in the right track in the right direction but is it going to be like a big positive i'm not actually sure that it will i i I think to your point brendan i think they're going to start matisse at the three Mm, and they're going to bring sharp off the bench because uh, for exactly what you just said, like they need some defenders out there who don't really care about scoring and don't really need the ball. And Matisse shot the three well in his, you know, in his brief time in Portland last year. Um, but yeah, they did miss Hart for sure. I mean, Hart was before he got traded. Other than Dame, was really the heart and soul of the team. I mean, uh, he, he played hurt on a, he play he plays hurt all the time, like. Uh, you know, and, and so he he's just willing to play through stuff to just get to kind of galvanize the, the the rest of the team, and they definitely miss that. And 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 with Dame gone again, there's a vacuum in the leadership role. And I think Scoot, obviously, you know, you, you hear about all the stories about him being a good leader and how he was leading guys on the G League night who are like you know 12 years older than him, but you know this is the NBA now it's different. So we have to sure. see like what it is for real. And, and yeah, uh, but yeah. There, there, here's the thing I would just I think, I think this with, there's like a certain line of teams. I think this with, I don't so much like look at for like the worst teams. Like I don't really look at on off stuff too hard because I just, I'm like, does it feel like that there's stuff happening here that is positive on the tape? This is like one of the few times where I'm just like, I don't take too much stock of the numbers because, as Brendan said, when you're when you're scoot and you're a young NBA point guard, your life is really hard. You're just ne- none of these guys are ever good in the way we're kind of that they, 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 they we project them to be in time. It's a really hard position to learn. Sharp is still Sharp is still young. Simon's like is the older guy of like their guard wing trio, and he's not exactly like he's not old. He's still pretty young. 
like there's I think just built in growing pains here where you're looking for flashes, you're looking for spurts, you're looking for games where they take it to a more established backcourt or scoot. You know, there's some good chemistry with Scoot Nathan or something that gives you hope that this can build for 2024, 2025, etc. Scoot had uh, four, over four turnovers per 36 minutes in the preseason. So, you know, just we're already kind of seeing that there's a taste there of that. He had a one game with six in 31 minutes, one game with five in 30 minutes. So, yeah, it's it's going to be up and down. I think your point is is super valid that that's not really what's what's going to matter. It's one of those categories. I mean, this is one of the only teams that's like actively not really trying that hard to be good. There's not a lot of those in the NBA this year. So a lot of the teams we've talked about, Chris, it's like the silver lining of the Pistons finding some sort of five man thing that they can cobble together to justify paying Monty Williams or whatever the step (laughs) forward they want to take, you know? Uh, But in this case, it's like, no, it it really will be about development. So to that end, uh, my best case, I, I kind of, I got more specific with it than we always do, but I had specifically DeAndre Ayton and Shaden Sharp break out and the team avoids ever having to bottom out. That was kind of the way that I put it. Because I think if those two in particular can can get to an unexpected level sooner than later, they really accelerate things. We're already expecting Scoot to do that. Simons kind of already has done that, but those two guys... I think would would change things and yeah again i think there's a a version here where they don't ever have to be awful for a year or two they can just kind of hit the ground running what do you have eric yeah i mean the best case i think yeah they they flirt with the play-in and and they're like in that tenton seed range and and they're kind of like a plucky team a little bit like oklahoma city was last year uh and and then chauncey is like also you know i think part of the best case scenario he's strategically allowed to execute what he's always wanted to do, which is pushing the pace, having an aggressive defense, and it leads to some exciting basketball and a fast pace where, you know, the best days in this franchise, both in the late 70s and the early 90s, were teams that played at a top five, top three pace in the league. Uh, That was how they, that's how they won championships around here and won, made the finals. And I think that there's a lot of people that love that type of basketball around here. And I think just getting people excited about the Blazers after the Dame era, I think it is a win uh, for me. So I think that that's the best case scenario. I, I think making the playoffs is even beyond best case scenario at this point. Yeah, look, I go best case. It's not about where you end up in the plan race or anything like that. It's do you feel good about your young guys? Are you exciting? And are you in a really good position to to start drafting more guys that can impact your team next year? Like I like is I understand the fans don't want to play the way I understand there's a sense of pride. I just at the end of the year, like I don't think I'm going to view this season as success for Portland if they get there, like to some degree. Yes. But I also just think, OK, are you is this moving forward in a way? where you can start adding the right kind of pieces around these guys and maybe have a high pick next year. I think a high pick and adding another one to this group. And look, this there are some guards in the class next year. I'm not saying that it's the, it would be the easiest thing necessarily, but I think there's a way you could look at this and say, okay, let's add some stuff in the draft next year, and then we're, we're actually better off just by having taken a little bit of a step back while still being really exciting and, and feeling like we're getting our, our identity back as a franchise. And I think in the worst case for me is opposite of that. Do you just feel like none of these young guys, particularly sharp, I think just because he's been in the league a little bit longer and I'm, I'm expecting some struggle through scoot just because he is a rookie point guard. Do you just feel like a little unsure about these guys as you're looking to build forward? 
Yeah, that's definitely the worst case scenario. It's like they don't take a step forward. Do they don't they don't grow as much as you'd like. And also, you know, Aiton, you know, kind of kind of, you know, packs it in and just kind of like doesn't really commit to what the team's asking him. And now he's this big, highly paid guy. Um, Jeremy Grant, you know, takes a big dip in production. And you hope that doesn't happen. But, you know, you hope that doesn't turn into a bad contract overnight uh, would be a, a fear as well. Um, yeah, I, I think also, I think maybe adding to the worst case is not knowing where you're going to go with the, with the backcourt. Yeah. Like, like, like Damon CJ had a good run, probably better than a lot of people expected. And I think we have now seen that like, you you just, you got to figure out who your guards are and then you got to have a size on your team. You have to have a team that can defend and rebound. And and also, of course, make shots. But like, I think they've got to figure they've got to figure out what the path is with the backcourt. I think that would be a worst case scenario if they don't know or if they don't have an answer on that. I'll piggyback on the Jeremy Grant thing and just say a part of what I had as the worst case is that they take a bad trade for Jeremy Grant. And I think that actually gets us to over under because we haven't really talked about that much. I have this team as probably a lock to be the under i don't see them as a play-in team i don't see them as anything close to a playoff team and a large part of that is i think that they're going to actively try to get worse as the season goes along i think all of us expect brogdon to be gone i think robert williams very well could be gone as we started out the whole segment was saying and i think it's possible that they pull the trigger on a jeremy grant deal as soon as the deadline of this year i don't i don't think that's likely with how long his contract is i wouldn't bet on that happening but it's definitely going to be the deadline or next summer. I don't. I don't think they're starting next season with Jeremy Grant. That would surprise me. I don't. I don't see any reason why they would want to do that. So, yes, there should be structure. Yes, there needs to be a little bit of a runway for these young players to get comfortable. But this is also the team that shut down its best player two straight seasons to get bad at the end of the season. So I don't think we're going to see them, you know really push for three extra wins in in march so i think that that's part of why i think they're going to be under 28 and a half but they were also statistically only a 32 win team last year they should have won one fewer games than they did they obviously lost their best player they were plus two with dame on the court minus 11 with him off last season i just think this is going to be a pretty bad in terms of win losses team but I liked your point, Eric, about what happens when you don't have to bottom out is you keep your fans in track and you get, you know, recognizable faces in the door who start getting better and you're already on to your next era. I I don't think that's a failure. I just think that as far as just looking at the standings, they're not going to be very good. I I don't really see the path for it. Yeah, uh, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Chris, no. do you want to go first? Or, no, okay. Go I'll ahead. I, I have a I have a very snide comment about the draft. I'm going to try to end this on. Uh, okay. All right. I have yeah. I have under as well. Um, I think it's like you know I normally take the over, but I have the under. Um, just because you know yeah, it's a super young team. They lost their best player. The front office and coach have shown. They've had two seasons together. Well, one and a half, really, because Cronin became the GM about halfway through Chauncey's first season. But we haven't seen them win games. We have seen them lose. It's the one thing that we've seen them do. And, like, 28 and a half is a low number 
and like they could still be the worst team in the West and win 29 games. So like, but like that's really splitting hairs. I think the the real spirit of this pick here, I'm not. I, first of all, I'm staying away from this as an actual gambler. I'm not. I'm not betting this. Um, but if I were to make a pick, I would pick the 28 and a half, under 20 and a half, just because I think they could trade Jeremy. I think they could trade Brogdon. I think they could trade uh, Simons. Also, I think is like talking about picking a, a direction with the backcourt. You know, let's say. It probably this is the best case scenario. Let's say Scoot just is killing it, and it's just like he's him right away, and everyone knows it, and everyone can see it. Then you have to trade Simons, like you just do, if he's that good. And it's like because I think we just we just did this dance with Damon CJ, and as great as it was, it could have been better. And and, and I think people I, I think people here wanted the Blazers to take risks and and maybe take a little step back if it's getting rid of Simons to hopefully have a core that you think could maybe one day win a championship. And um, yeah, so that's where I'm at with the under. Chris, I'll pass it to you for your snide thing to close, but I just also want to point out that any Blazers fans who have found their way here and are mad, it's the bottom of the NBA has bad teams on it every year. Teams that have low over-unders hit way under that because of their lack of incentive to win. The Detroit Pistons won 17 games last year in a season that, that I think they actually wanted to take a step forward in. You know what I mean? Because Cade got hurt and a number of other things happened and they just said, you know, screw it. The Rockets and Spurs won 22 games apiece. Like, this happens. So, I think uh, I think they can. there can be positivity and still a lot of L's, I think, you in, know, the, I wanted in to add the win-loss. One, I wanted to add one more thing to the under part. I think the Blazers might be one of the few teams, the fan bases of that will appreciate the in-season tournament. That's one yeah. last. That's one take that I will make. I think Blazer that fans, Chris will, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Ouch. No, wow. he said this. This is not slander. He? he said it. Yes. Yes. I no. Thought, this is I me reading the just... headlines. I'm not doing the ring stuff. I'm saying Chris Paul said you're... the Warriors are going to care. He came out and gave just... a, a statement this week where he was like, thought, "We're going to use that." Right. I thought you were just drive byving drive by and Chris no. Paul. I was like, "Damn." Well, and it's wow. before. It kind of does write itself, but he did say that. It's okay. before December fifteenth when they can start trading these guys, like to start trading Jeremy Grant. Like they can't even trade him. So, you know, they they can make one one go, you know, for the, for the in season tournament. So, you know. They should go for it. Uh, I, I think that should be one of their season goals. And then they can just tank and trade everybody and do what they want to do anyway. So here we go. Back to the draft, Chris. All right. The only thing that I would say is that if I was thinking about building their team, and look, I'm not going to tell you I'm the most familiar with next year's draft class, but the next like big prize on the horizon that I think would fit really well with this core is Cooper Flag in 2025. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm gonna say. Oh God, I know. Well, yes, of course. I think I think I think everybody wants Cooper Flag in 2025. <laughs> but there, but 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 there but there's like a lane here where it's like some of these other teams that aren't like particularly good right now are kind of putting their lot into take steps forward. Where I think even if you're like if you can be feisty but bad and like take steps forward to some of your young guys, you might be in a really good spot to like get that guy. And then it's like him and Scoot and Sharp and Aiton, and then you have some gas. Yeah, then 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 it's like you're 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 OKC right now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like then, then you're like you're like a real squad with real size, 
and, and and I think, yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah, if they could get Cooper Flag in 2025, whatever you have to do to get Cooper Flag in 2025 for sure. But like, yeah, also, but I would also accept a fun young team and, you know, maybe Aiden, you know, it has fun here and, and he's, and he's fun and, and, and they play with pace and maybe, and that's cool, but you know, but yeah, Cooper flag would be amazing. That would be the, that would be special. I'm just like looking at the draft comps in this one site for 2024. And I'm just like bigger Mike Dunleavy jr. Kuminga and RJ Barrett. And I'm just like, okay, like this, is what we're doing with our top picks now? Like, yeah, well the, the guy, uh, Holland, on the G League Ignite, I like yeah. him a lot. Um, and yeah. he's got he's, and he's, he's the he one fits with the, what they need. He's the one with the cane. He's he I, again. This is one site, and, the, and this is just like SEO got me here. Shot to you, SEO gods. But this is like that's the Kuminga RJ Barrett comp on the on this. That's the guy. Oh who got come the, on! Got the what is that? That's not a good comp. I, I like. Right. I, I don't know. I, 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 I don't think so. I th- I think like I just love his defense. I thought he was really fun defender. I saw him in the Hoop Summit here. Um, but. Uh, and then I mean Alex Saar, the the French kid that's in the Australian league, there I mean he's not like one of my friends who watched he watches some Australian league basketball compared him to like a young KG. So that would also fit a need if he was actually anywhere near that. For sure would fit. Yeah. Here. I think would, just, would for sure just, fit the team. Just broke my brain a little bit hearing the the phrase young KG. You know, I mean, yeah, and apparently, like he, like he does something that's like one of the fun. So I've lately been watching. This is a total aside. I've been watching like Euroleague, and and then my friend was watching Australian basketball. And in foreign leagues, the coaches have way more power than the players. And it's like there's almost times where like he's doing stuff that's like too cool, and then the coach takes him out. It's like it's it like that's that's the so so and Sar actually like he like showed out in those G League Ignite games. They played against the the Ignite here. It wasn't as big as the Wemby Scoot game, but he was he got a lot of good reviews. So I, I'd be interested in getting him too. Uh, so him or Holland, like if they, if Portland can get one of those guys to to go with this team, and they find a trade for Grant, and you know they, I think Jabari Walker, also a guy I didn't mention, I think is going to have a lot more PT this year, and I just really like his game. He's really smart, um, good rebounder. And his three looked really good in summer league. So I, uh, Jabari Walker, I think is a guy that I think a lot of people might hear about more this year that they did not hear about last year. So one one last shout out, but want to get that off the chest. Thank you guys for having Alan. me. Hey, Eric, thank you so much. That ends our Portland preview. That ends this episode. Just basketball show back at you next week after we get some actual NBA games. What a fucking concept. Tune in next. Enjoy the hoops, everyone. Talk to you soon.